This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. You made it. You finally did it. Hey, uh, joined by uh, Terry South and, of course, Jeffrey Liam Simpson, the th- the, the slim and lean version of Jeffrey Liam Simpson. We got a yes. Wow. He weighed in officially, I guess. We have a new audience. Yeah. No, they're huge. Yeah. <laughs> this is a big this is a wow. big audience. They don't, they don't seem to want to stop either. It reminds me of uh, President Obama's one of his addresses. USA. Yeah. You, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. You sure wasn't President Trump? Oh, maybe, yeah. 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 Um, so Although that one's 15 minutes long. That one was the one we just played? No, the Oh, President, President Trump's, Trump's yeah. yeah. He had a huge turnout at his inaugural address. Did you hear about that? Multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> well, congrats, Jeffrey. It's official. You you won the bet. You won. You beat yourself in the I weight did. loss I did. I smoked program. myself. You smoked it. That's cool. Hmm. You look great. You're doing great. Thank you. By the way, let's can we make a rule um, <laughs> not to open a marker in the studio? So we we are in a tightly sealed box, and I opened a marker, and now the whole room. I mean, I feel great. What kind of is it? A whiteboard marker? It's a whiteboard. Usually, marker. those don't smell too bad. Mm. Why do we have those in here? You see this? We don't even have a whiteboard. I know. Oh no, we have the little whiteboard. But here's the deal. So I don't know. I just feel lightheaded. I feel. You usually use a highlighter. I do. There's no highlighter at hand. No. But so the first so thing I you can reach for is the whiteboard marker, and then you start <sighs> marking it, and all of a sudden we're all like feeling the effects of the fumes. Do you remember the in the old days when you had markers that smelled like grapes? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. They still have them. I yeah. have lifesaver markers. <gasps> Those were good. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. But, you know, then you'd like have – you always could tell the kid that was sniffing them because right. he had like purple rings around his nose. Right. Yeah. You remember those uh, different scented glues? That no. you sniffed? Uh-uh. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell us about them. They make you a little lightheaded. Yeah. I'm sure they do. <laughs> Just a little bit. I've had a lot lightheaded. Hey, today we're going to be talking about uh, is education still – is it still something we want to push? It's mm. really expensive. A lot of kids say they can't get jobs. So is it really the – is it the gateway to make more money? I thought you meant elementary school kids. Yeah, uh, let's not send those kids anymore. Because all those kids are smoking, or uh, they're all they're all sniffing glue, glue, yeah. and markers, and markers. So that grape scented glue, Ooh. yeah, that wasn't grape scented, <laughs> my friend. That's just paste. But I mean, you have uh, like you talked about how your son has been able to develop some skills yeah. by simply watching it on YouTube and then putting those skills into practice. And so, do you need school to well, teach you that? We were just talking know. about it. So he he's on an LDS mission. He'll be home in about four or five months. Five months, I think. Hmm. And in the end, should he go to school? Well, it's his choice, but he probably won't. And he's like the first child not to. But he's like, yeah. I'll just just edit video, make videos. Now, here's the key. He does have technical experience and a lot of technical skills. And so what we're finding out is maybe colleges aren't aren't producing the skills that the people need. And so we'll talk to an expert about 
do, should they still go to school? And the answer is probably statistically yes. And they also need skills. Like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. Oh, hmm. we're back to that. He's still sniffing glue. But isn't there an argument to be made that you can learn things beyond, say, your what skill you need for a job in college when it comes yeah. to reasoning, decision making? Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of benefits to that. How many students have we had though that have degrees in journalism? Yeah. And they've spent four years getting them, and then they leave, and they don't do any journalism. They all go do social media. Right here, except the social media part's not true. Yeah. But yeah. then I came back. Well, look what you're doing. I'm back. Yeah. I mean, that explains everything. Like, you're – yeah. But then the glue thing still comes up. Maybe that <laughs> explains some of that. But every one of our producers that have left, they were like – most of them were – communication majors mm-hmm. and yet every one of them is not not working in journalism they're working in social media so wouldn't it make more sense that they just take classes here in social media right and get really adv- and learn social media marketing or whatever learn other skills but the universities maybe aren't geared to do that yet so we're at this weird phase where people right. are like I'm not going to pay thirty, forty thousand dollars in student loans to have a degree that's not going to get me anything so many are saying, I'm not going to go to school. Hmm. Hmm. That's a good point. But the research still shows the money is in being educated. You're going to have more of a likelihood of making more money if you So there's have still some value in that degree. Yeah. Versus not. Especially if the degree now, is, is that, in a technical field. Is that a thought process by the people hiring, the people that yeah, are managing? Probably. They look at, they value that more, even though maybe the value isn't there as well, much as it was in the past. Well, is it? It used to be the degree is what mattered. Like if you had to weigh two people that had equal, mm-hmm. you know, experience, but the, the degree, I guess, would tip it. Now it's maybe just your portfolio. So if you bring in a portfolio of incredible technical stuff and, and achievement, maybe. They have an advantage. It's just what you've done. Mm. And the funny thing is, like, my son has learned to do all of this stuff with no school, all online. All the all of the answers of how to do it is it's all online, and he gets it one way or another. This will be interesting to see what this guest has to say because you've had another guest on the show that has basically said, you don't need an education. Yeah. You don't need to go to college. You don't need a degree. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's not a big deal. It, and it's it's scary as a parent because of course you want them to go to school. Like, but do you want them to go to school to just to get a, a well-rounded life? But shouldn't they already have the well-rounded life? Like, shouldn't your high school be where you're doing all your general eds? My son right now is a senior in high school and is about to. It drives me crazy. He's got the easiest year of his life. I mean, it's hard, lots of stuff, but. It's pretty easy, and I'm thinking, we're wasting a year. Why are we not doing your general ed right now mm-hmm. and getting all of your general ed done so when you get to college, all we have to pay for is the degree? He's like, no, that's that's a lot of work, Dad. Now, there are some schools where you can get college credit. Yeah, when I was a senior in high school, I took my pottery class. <laughs> I, I had a class where um, they called it technology, but it essentially was they were trying to teach you a skill through a video game. And so the kids just sort of figured out how to cheat at the video game. That's yeah. how you pass the oh, class. Oh, video cheating one on one. Right. So I, I, t- that. I took that two semesters because they said you can only take it once. And I just went, "Can I take this again?" They went, "Yeah, sure." Sure. So you got really, you got really. Good I mean, there cheating. was some AutoCAD type thing. You're you're programming some robots and things. But I did it the semester before, so I just did it again. I was done in like three weeks. Oh, it sounds like That's you were awesome. cheating. And then I just went and played SimCity, which was the one of the games. Wow. Yeah. I just had a photography class that uh, if you weren't working on a project. 
You were just sitting in front of the TV watching a movie. Huh, it's fantastic. Know. Although I don't think that teacher should have shown uh, Freddy Krueger movies. No, I totally agree. <laughs> By the way, uh, I guess this shows you maybe what's going on with America. We have just in this room. I mean, the younger generation in this room. Right. One learned to cheat video games. Well, I learned that just at home. It's on the, well, yeah, but it's like, on the internet. But then you perfected it. Going we, to two, well, we learned on the internet, went to school, and just applied what we learned. See, cheating. the computer taught us, and we applied yeah. those skills. And then that's where you got into movies. Um, no, I was already into movies. Yeah. That's where I was exposed to some movies maybe I shouldn't have seen. Oh. Wow. Good. <laughs> it's interesting. We're learning a lot on the show today. Uh, Irma continues to not only ruin a name, but batter the Caribbean. So we'll get to headlines about that. We got a lot to cover today. So much, and it's Friday, so we've got, we probably ought to clean house on some other stories, do some empty news. Plus, uh, you know, in the end, it's Friday, so we all walk away and just veg all weekend because it's football weekend. Well, I have a lot of yard work to do. Yeah, so do I. Me too. So. So I guess we won't veg. I'll figure it out, but I'm going to get you know plenty no, no, no. of TV way to, in. To way, to bring, way yeah. to bring it down. Way to bring it down. Trying to help. Mm-hmm. Trying to help. Okay, let's get to the headlines then, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? Hurricane Irma barreling towards Florida was downgraded to a Category Four storm early this morning. Winds decreased to a still powerful 155 miles per hour. Now apparently the barrier between a four and a five is 157. Wow. So you know, 157 miles mile an hour, hour winds. You, if you're over that, you're a Category 5. Well, you you're know what that would do to your hair? <laughs> and buildings. and <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, uh, the fluctuations are likely during the next few days before the hurricane is expected to make landfall in the continental U.S. on Sunday. Meanwhile, the Texas-sized storm track shifted west and northwest, and experts say it's likely to hit Florida dead on. So, so the models they're, they're going with, it's just right up the center right of Florida. Up, so, and it will literally span the entire state. Pretty much every major city, every major city in, in Florida is going to feel this as it moves north. Yeah, in fact, isn't the, the governor's like telling people on both sides of, yeah. the, of, the, of, of the, state. the state to evacuate? Get out. Get out. Go. No matter where you live, get out. Uh, and so it's going to travel towards the Midwest from Georgia and Alabama. So it's going to kind of curve a little bit and maybe hook uh. Uh, so. And even even if it's even it's down if it's downgraded to a three, which I guess happens when it hits landfall, yes. it's a monster storm still. Right, it'll ah. still be dangerous. Bring a lot of rain. So they're telling everyone, get out, get out now. Your window is closing. Windows almost closed. A lot of windows. A lot of well, well there it, won't be not windows anymore. Yeah. One thing to watch Days. in downtown Miami, there's all these cranes. They're building you know, high rise oh, no. buildings, and so they've tried, tried to secure them. Some of the cranes are just going to let spin. What? I know. Can't it's, you just bring it down? Like, just bring down the I don't know how quickly you can bring down these cranes that help build skyscrapers. Oh, They're boy. huge. So oh, yeah, that'll oh, be those, something. Yeah, that, yeah. No, those are going to... Oh, and they boy. got, you know, 50, 60 uh, level or I floor buildings. I hope the guy gets so out of it. We'll see what happens. In a closed-door interview Thursday, Donald Trump Jr. told Senate Judiciary Committee investigators that he met with a Kremlin-connected Russian lawyer during the presidential campaign because he felt, quote, it was important to learn about Hillary Clinton's fitness to be president. <laughs> Well, didn't they know enough by her cough? I don't know. To the extent they had information concerning the fitness, character, or qualifications of a presidential candidate, I believe that I should at least hear them out. Depending on what, if any, information they had, 
I could then consult with counsel to make an informed decision as to whether to give it further consideration, Trump Jr. said, per a copy of a statement obtained by the New York Times. Hold it. I thought we weren't talking to the Russians at all. I thought there was no interaction. What's what Is they this said? Russia thing still going on? Oh yeah, yeah. It's there's, Russia's there's still four, there. There's four investigations going on. Oh, I thought these were all done. I didn't. No. I didn't think they had talked to any Russians. Trump Jr. told congressional investigators that he was at first unsure about accepting the meeting, and the New York Times noted that his intent to seek legal counsel afterwards suggests that he knew or at least suspected that the meeting raised a thorny legal issue. Mm. So here we is go. Is it Trump Jr.'s job to? investigate the fitness of the presidential candidate of his father. Oh, sure. Is that no, his wrong. job? Well, that's always what the first son does. So that's a, okay. It yeah. just seemed have odd. you not read the Bible? <laughs> no. It's no, in the no. Bible. I have. I missed that part. I guess. Yeah. The, the first son, the, the – what do they call him? The alpha male, first child's male. Birthright. Birthright yeah. named hmm. boy always investigates the enemy. Okay. That's well. not too far off because the first one usually gets the shaft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You lose out on the birthright. You don't want it for a mess of pottage? Yeah. <laughs> Always go for the birthright. Yeah. Uh, in other news, a major consumer credit reporting agency, Equifax, said Thursday oh, yeah. that 143 Equifax. million U.S. customers were affected by a data breach. That's 44% of the country. Mercy. Yeah. The and by the way, huge. Equifax. This is like so. This is a credit bureau. Yeah, there's Equifax, it, Experion, and uh, TransUnion. Those are the three big ones. These are the ones that you can't get credit without these people checking your information, and now that information has been social hijacked. security numbers, birth dates, credit card numbers. Thanks, Equifax. Hackers could now have access to all this information: driver's license numbers, other sensitive info. Equifax said more than two hundred thousand people had their birth dates and credit card numbers stolen. Mm-hmm. The agency added that the hackers may have gained access to its computer systems between mid-May and July, though it found no evidence that its main consumer or commercial credit reporting databases were impacted. Mm-hmm. Or impacted. The breach was discovered. July 29th, NBC News reported later Thursday that the SEC, this uh, filing showing that three Equifax executives sold their shares in the company just days after the breach was detected. The company says the timing of the sale was coincidental. Mm -hmm. There needs to be an investigation. See, I'm okay with that. But if these hackers release one more episode of Game of Thrones. No, 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 no. no. Different hackers. Those are different. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Pretty sure that they're after different things. Yeah, it's different. And finally, um, back in August, news broke of that homeowners in the ultra-wealthy Presidio Terrace in San Francisco, which is an O-shaped private street in the neighborhood of of the same name, had somehow managed to lose ownership of the street. Remember that story? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, what happened? Yeah. The Are city, they charging now? The city auctioned off the street out right. in front of all these mega mansions. <laughs> so it's basically it – was, it was the access street and, and the place where you would park. And There's the, a lot of parking there. Right. And the couple that purchased it, they were thinking about, nah, do we charge parking to these millionaires who have these huge houses? So they, if they want to park in front of their street, they have to buy access. Uh, angry members of the exclusive cul-de-sac homeowners association promised they would appeal to the city's uh, the city's auction – of the, the street, which the city tax collector carried out after a minuscule uh, annual tax on the privately owned and maintained sidewalks, asphalt, and parking spaces went unpaid for decades. I believe it was $14 a month. Yeah. So they weren't paying it. So it, it, he just What, what was the total sum that they, they had to come in and only pay like $10,000? Something, something like they that, owned yeah. the street. 
for for it was in like, San Francisco. It was like forty years. No one had paid this. Oh man, that's right? like their eating out bill for the month. Yeah, too. so <laughs> they put it up for auction, and it was so. And sure enough, the board of supervisors responded to complaints on Tuesday by scheduling a November hearing to decide whether or not the sale was appropriate. The board has the power to undo the sale. Right now, no, they say the plan of giving interested parties a chance to plead their cases. So they're just trying to give everyone a chance to just air their grievances. No word on if they want to f- change this or not. It says the San Francisco Chronicle reporter a few weeks ago that almost this exact same scenario played out some 40 years ago. At that time, the state rather than the city that w- uh, repossessed the roundabout. So these people, 40 years ago, the people living there didn't pay this tax. Did we not learn... And so the street was ago. taken. So as the it says, sins of the fathers. That timeline means that no sooner did the residents of Presidio Terrace get their street back that they almost immediately resumed not paying taxes on it. Shame, shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. So why? I got an idea. Yeah. Why don't they quit petitioning, quit complaining, and just buy the property? Right. As the citizens. Sure. And then they own it. Well, I don't know if you can actually purchase the street. It's just, but they, they, why don't they buy out the tax debt that they all were responsible for? That was auctioned off. It's too uh, late. This other guy now oh, owns I, too it. Late. So that's the. Oh, but I thought that's what he was doing was re auctioning it. No, no, no. Um, he, mm-hmm. He's sitting there holding the, the, the property. Yeah. And the, the, the people living there are complaining to the city that they didn't have an opportunity to comment before the sale. Yeah. Well, and and the city's like, there's no provision that says we must let you comment before the sale, but we're going to let you anyways. There you go. You know, probably what because they donate to political campaigns and they want that money stone. You know what they'll do? They just need to turn back to the Bible, get a third party to make a decision, oh. and he will say, we will cut the street in half. Yeah, if they would just cut the street in half, and then right. whoever really cares for the street will step forward. We'll step forward and say, "Don't, please, do not harm the street." Exactly. That's See? a beautiful answer. Problem to solved. A very complicated problem. <laughs> Many times you can just go right back to the Bible and make it happen. Ah, interesting stuff, folks. Up next, we're going to be talking about uh, if you want a job, do you still need to go get a, a degree, an education. Well, the research actually says yes, but it might be important to know where the jobs are and get the education that actually applies to the job, right? Maybe the degree isn't everything it's cracked up to be. We'll continue the discussion up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Recently, we have seen reports and news claiming that college graduates don't have as many benefits as they used to. Some reports have gone so far as to say that college education is not of any value at all. With college tuition climbing, many students are beginning to get discouraged from continuing their education after high school. But should those students stick with it? Should we as parents encourage our children to go to college? Well, who better to help us than uh, Sean M. Doherty? He's an assistant professor of education policy and leadership at the at the Neeg School of Education and an affiliated faculty member in the Department of Public Policy at the University of Connecticut. Sean, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. This is, I mean, I see it with my own kids. They're they're questioning the the I, I guess really the relevancy of education in today's uh, in today's economy. But uh, let, let's kind of sort through it because we always say should our should does education matter? And you would say I guess statistically 
if you're educated, you have a higher likelihood of making more money. Is that accurate in the research? That's right. I mean, there's uh, probably no single stronger conclusion about preparation for the workforce over the last, you know, 100 years that folks have studied. Uh, and that has changed over time exactly what credential has the biggest payoff. Uh, but, but certainly, uh, on, on average, as you say, statistically, right, we can come up with plenty of individual cases where we see that that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, we can see Bill Gates and others who didn't complete a college degree and went on to be very successful in business. Uh, but but on but on average, for for most folks, education has has been the best investment over time. Why are people questioning it? What what do you see in in the work you've done that's leading people to question so much of it? The sure. need for and education. There's, there's decent re- reason to question. I think right now, in particular, because as you mentioned in the lead-in, that uh, college debt levels have been increasing substantially. And along with that, also in the news has been that folks are necessarily earning enough money right out of college to pay that debt back at the rate that's been expected. Um, and, and this is a part of the story that, you know, again, folks who, who've studied this closely still come out and say, on average, you know, college is a good investment. But uh, there is increasing evidence that the amount of debt that folks are taking on to achieve a college degree uh, can be debilitating. The, the bigger challenge, actually, is for folks who start a college degree, take on debt, and then don't complete the degree. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what they then get is the, you know, the, the downside of the debt without the, the kind of labor market signal or without the benefit you know, in the, uh, when they try to go for a job of showing that bachelor's degree. And that's happening more and more today, right, where they do get started. I mean, then really they're kind of maybe they're, – they're, every student seems to be struggling and then – Something happens, they're already in debt, and they don't finish the degree, and that you're saying that really just sets them up for big problems. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, for a long time now, it's been true that, uh, you know, plenty of folks who start a college degree don't finish that degree, whether it's a two-year or a four-year degree. But, I mean, that's something that's been common for some time. What has become more common, though wasn't in the past, is the, the level of debt that goes along with the folks who have some college but no degree. Uh, and, and that is likely attached partially to the increase in the cost of attending uh, college, uh, especially four-year college price tags have been climbing uh, faster than the rate of in- inflation for some time. Um, and that's likely part, part of the explanation for, for how and why that's happening. What overall, so what, what uh, and I don't know if you know all the numbers, but what percentage of people just only get a high school diploma, and what what are the expectations financially for them? And then what percent move on and get it and and either drop out of college or finish their college degree? Good question. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get the numbers wrong off the top of my head, but you know, it's historically been about one in three uh, American adults have uh, at least a bachelor's degree or higher. That number has been climbing, so it's, I believe, somewhere in the middle to upper 30s at this point, uh, though the variation is pretty substantial depending on where you are in the country, um, which would then put you know, the bulk of, I guess, the rest of the folks at, at, at just a, a college or high school degree or lower. Right now, our, our high school graduation uh, rate is about 80% nationally, so only one in five, again, on average, uh, are not getting a high school diploma 
Um, and, and so that would leave, I guess, like another 40 to 50 percent with, with just a, a bachelor's or sorry, just a high school diploma. Mm. And um, but yeah, the, the, the problem is, is that the, the wages you can earn, expect to earn with just a high school diploma compared to what you can earn with a college degree. The gap between those two uh, you know, wage expectations has been growing over time. And so. Whereas. Uh, from the middle part of the 20th century, well into the latter, you know, later parts of the 20th century, you could do okay in the, in the workforce with a with a high school diploma only. It's it's pretty tough to earn a living wage on just a high school diploma, in, in you know, especially in large cities. In yeah, the country. and and I mean, part of what I see, we're at Brigham Young University, and it's a great. Uh, there's some great education and programs here. I see a lot of our our producers that work for us. You know, they're they're in um, the communications fields or humanity fields or English or drama and um, and I look or theater and I, I sit there and I I see them working so hard to get their degree and then almost every one of them goes out and gets a job that's not necessarily associated exactly with what they were studying. They might get a social media internship or job. Um, is so are the universities really lined up to get the degrees that people need to make money in the world? Or are the universities still trying to catch up? Well, so this is a debate that's been running at least for a century about kind of what the purpose of education is. And and, and that purpose has been less clear in higher education, even maybe than in kind of K-12. You know, the the debate between the benefits of a a liberal arts education and generalized learning skills where you focus on the ability to read critically, to think critically and to write well and communicate well. Uh, You know, those skills are kind of universally important in the in the workforce. uh, And to some extent, employers report them not being in, in high enough supply. So, you know, on the one hand, studying liberal arts and getting a college degree and generalized knowledge can be valuable. And, and most folks do end up working in some field other than, you know, what they, what was their major in college if they have a college degree. That said, there is plenty of evidence that there are unfilled jobs in, in more technically oriented careers that do require some specialized knowledge. Um, and, you know, and, and I, there's conflicting reports on kind of the extent to which it's a function of people not taking the right degrees in college or not mm. studying the right programs. But we do know it is possible in two and four year colleges to pursue some of these pathways. And, and that pursuit of them, at least over the last 20 years, hasn't been as highly marketed. Uh, folks have been thinking more squarely about four year degrees and, and pushing uh, kind of universal college pursuit and not thinking necessarily as vocationally, thinking about the alignment between what folks are studying and, and what job they're likely to get. Interesting. Is there is there a better correlation with um, getting the four-year degree, kind of the institutional four-year degree idea? Do, do they tend to make more money or those that are just more targeted specifically to, you know, their, their labor, their job training? So – on on average, over the last you know thirty to fifty years, getting a, a four year degree period, kind of regardless of what it is, has had a, a pretty high payoff, mm. you know, reward in the marketplace. Um, that said, we know there's a lot of variation in how much you're likely to make right out of college, and we know that a lot of that variation is explained by what you studied or what uh, or you know or what field you get hired into after college. The tr- there's some trade-offs, 
you know, the, the, the more focused, the more specific the skills you're acquiring in, in higher education, the more, the, the more, I guess, open you are, the, the more risk you take on that if your job changes in the future, that you'll have to get retrained or that your knowledge will be less valuable, right? If, so, for instance, if you were a manufacturer in the 1970s and you had the skills to manufacture automobiles, uh, your skills were in high demand, they were well compensated. But, but now for folks who've been displaced by the loss of those jobs, you know, retraining and reentering the workforce has, has been a challenge. So that's kind of the classical trade-off between specific skills and maybe getting a higher wage in the short term versus the risk of over the longer term having to do, you know, retraining. Hmm. Is when you look at it, because I look at it as an ex-gen, um, I value education. I, I, I went through the process. I see, I think it builds so much more than even just skills, right? It builds you know, confidence, it shows the ability to get to be a finisher or whatever. But I also look at the millennials that also have a different view of institutions like education and religion. And do you see this, this, uh, this maybe favoritism, this benefiting of education changing as other generations are coming up that don't or maybe don't value it as much? Certainly, I mean, being, being an academic, I'm certainly open to the possibility. You know, there have been been large kind of sea changes in in, in lots of things over over time. It wouldn't shock me if if we're going to witness some some shift in kind of how education is valued in the marketplace, or at the very least, the pathways people pursue hmm. to attain that education. So, you know, for for Gen Xers like uh, you and I, and Gen Y, maybe even you know, folks. Uh, went from high school into college, if they went and pursued a college degree, uh, and then out into the workforce, you know, I think we may see more variance on that model as folks wonder, do I know uh, at 18 what I want to be doing and why? And, and so maybe there'll be more, you know, en- entry in and out of the workforce, pursuing higher education part-time or, or more purposeful pursuit of it in a kind of tailored way, uh, maybe a little bit later into folks' 20s. So, you know, I, I don't have great evidence of that. I do see people increasingly uh, considering alternative, you know, taking gap years before high school, after college, thinking about uh, work life differently. And, and so I think it's possible um, that there'll be some shifts. Though I'd be shocked if, if still on average we didn't see that, you know, folks who got more education – uh, and studied fields that were in high demands didn't get the benefit uh, yeah. in, in the workforce. And and that, that's let's take a break and come back and talk about that, Sean, because I, I that's what I wonder. Now there's so many other ways to get information, uh, just online courses. I have a son that has a, a lot of technical skills that he's just learned on his own, and I'd love to have your insight in that. It will is it really the skills that they have to have and the ability to show effectiveness in the skills or is it in the end the degree um it's an interesting stuff and and really it's it's a battle that's not going away and our children our grandchildren are going to be questioning the value of education and the data shows it's what brings the money statistically now there's always the anomalies right there's the the people that have snuck through and and done it another way but uh, education. Right now, the data is saying it's it's the number one way. We'll continue the journey more with Sean Doherty when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back. We're talking with Sean M. Doherty, who is an assistant professor of education policy and leadership at the NIG, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, NIG School of Education, and he's also an affiliated faculty member in the Department of Public Policy at the University of Connecticut. We're talking about how in the end, uh, according to the data, getting an education, and the more education you can get, the the more income you can bring in on average. Um, so it's important. Sean Doherty, thank you again for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Matt. Thank how do you. how do you pronounce the name of your the school of education? Uh, so I, I've been told we say the the Nieg School of Education. The Nieg. Okay, there you go. Sounds good to me. Um, it's all right. It's, it's it's always a topic of conversation. <laughs> Isn't that great in your own department? How do we pronounce our department? Um, so, and again, what's interesting about education is you know even though the more you have, you may not know how to even pronounce that word. <laughs> So um, talk to us about – because again, is, is it is, – it's really – when we say education, it's a term we're using. But you're, you're really saying the more skills, the more tools, the more uh, I guess even certificates and the, in whatever you're going to do over time will increase the likelihood of making more money. That, that's right. Uh, and, and we use education as kind of a rough proxy Right, yeah. for, for the sorts of things that you're mentioning, we think skills and training uh, and ab- ability to, to communicate, to interact with others, because typically we don't we, we know uh, we think we know a host of things that matter. Right. If we asked an employer or we just asked, you know, other human beings, you yeah. know, what's important about being a successful, well-functioning adult, we can list the things. And, and but we, we kind of we, we see those things very indirectly. Right. If you send me a resume or a letter or someone recommends you for a job, I, I need to think about, well, so what are the characteristics I care about? And, and the reason education ends up you know, explaining so much about you know, how much, what, what people get paid in the marketplace or maybe how their income changes over time is we, we've discovered that it's a fairly good proxy right, for, uh, for those skills. Now, we, we think about this as in two different ways. We think about like, seeing that you have a college degree there's some there's two different ways that can have value one it can separate it can be a signal that separates you from someone else who doesn't have a bachelor's degree and maybe we think that's about persistence or other resources or other things that we think we care about um or it can be you know literally a signal of skill because matt has this bachelor's degree and sean doesn't have this bachelor's degree you know we know there are skills he acquired in in earning that degree and we're going to value those skills yeah Um, and and i guess some of it's perceived but and like you you gave a really good uh you made a really good point earlier that there's always going to be the one off like Bill Gates that just quit in the middle um and still succeeded but behind his quitting right Bill Gates had thousands of hours coding he had supportive parents that were going to support him kind of either way he had all these other things going for him but for the average joe um it, it's you're saying overall it's kind of worth getting all of the well-rounded skills that you might get out of a maybe a more of a university setting or a, a even a technical training program, so that so that you can mark off as many boxes as you can in an interview. That's right, and and actually the the, the different boxes you just mentioned are, are important because you know there's the technical skill, but we get lots of other things out of formal education and training like mentorship, yeah, uh, both formal and informal. And if you're 
let's say, getting trained to be an electrician, you know, you both learn the technical skills about how to work with the electricity safety and uh, safely and according to code. But you also learn from professionals in the field about how to conduct yourself in a workplace, how to own your own business. Um, and, and that goes the same on the, on the college side, right? Like I learned lots of things in, in, in university training, but, but some of what you learn is the informal mentorship you get from the other adults who are responsible for, for training you up. Yeah. Um, and the ability and, and, to communicate. And, yeah. Like you were saying, communication. I mean, just write like I have a, I had a journalism degree, but I ended up in uh, cells because they loved my writing. And I realized, oh, oh, okay. So it's my writing that they're after. But my degree was journalism, and I always thought I'd be a journalist. And in the end, what I got were skills of writing and communicating and being able to dissect information. That's right. That's and, cool. and, and those general skills are, are, are important because you don't know as the, at the point in time when you're doing the training what, you know, what you'll be faced with in terms of a marketplace or, or how that will change over time. And that's part of the reason in, in education and, and thinking about uh, labor economics, we, we think about both general skills that are highly transferable and specific skills that might help you gain a particular job, uh, for instance, writing. Is there um, – in your heart, would you go into debt and would you recommend the average person, maybe not one that's going to get a PhD because, I mean, that's probably different, but um, would you go into debt to get a bachelor's degree? Well, so I'd be a hypocrite if I said no, because I did take on some some personal debt myself when I got a bachelor's degree, but I chose to go to the University of Massachusetts, which was you know an in-state institution for me at the time and, and cost a lot less than some of the other private schools that I applied to and was admitted to. And, and, and it, I mean, I made that personal decision because I didn't think the cost associated with the debt hmm. was worth the perceived benefit, you know, of, of having that private school degree versus my University of Massachusetts degree. And, and, and I would say on average, again, uh, folks are better off taking on less debt to earn a bachelor's degree. So maybe do it over uh, time, do it over more time. Certainly, you could do it over over more time, or or make choices to attend less costly universities uh, as a way to to hedge. Of course, you know there's some trade off if you can if you if you you know uh, can get a degree at, at at Harvard and it costs you a bit more. You know may, maybe you could say like you think that there's some value or you or you perceive some value in attending a particular private institution, um, and you can get great educations there. Uh, so I'm not not knocking them at, at all. It, it's just about the the difference in the price tag on average. If you can do it less expensively, or yes, if you can be co-enrolled in college while working part time, uh, th- things to kind of defray the overall debt burden um, do give you more opportunities on the back end, right? You don't have to take a job or or establish a lifestyle based on your debt level. Hmm. What changes do you see coming down the road? Then it seems like. There needs to be maybe some reform in education, um, maybe to, in an effort to maybe make it less expensive. Um, is that would it be better to just free tuition kind of models we've heard about? Would it be better to push more of the general ed education down into the uh, high school level, so then you're just more technical, getting more specific skill sets at college? What what do you see coming down on the educational side that might impact some of this? Well, so I, I have some 
uh, colleagues at, at Harvard and Berkeley who, uh, who study, I, I don't know well, but I know, I know there are folks who study uh, David Deming and Chris Walters in particular in this instance are, are studying the best way to defray the cost of college. Is it better to you know, discount the, co- the price of tuition or to give people uh, money to help reduce the costs? Um, you know, a lot, a lot of smart people are thinking about how, how to deal with this on a financial aid or, or you know, cost of attending college side. Um, I, I suspect that college prices can't continue to rise at the rate that they've been rising over the last 20 years. Um, and, and some of that w- will bring a bit of a reckoning to schools about, how, you know, how, how they operate and, and what their cost structure and revenue structure can be. Um, I, I think that having greater prominence of this concern about debt and the number of people who have high levels of debt is, is likely to start changing people's behavior. And then higher education uh, will we'll have to start re- responding to those changes in behavior, right? Mm, so maybe yeah. people will have less demand for higher cost education, and, and so colleges will have to start to rein in uh, their their expectations in terms of what people can pay. Mm, it's got to, right? And it also seems like I almost just think that there's this there's this other kind of um, energy going on of people that are, f- f- you know, thinking that even the numbers showing that education is the number one way to make more money is just a way to prop up education <laughs> and educational facilities. And because, again, middle America seems to not get ahead. If, if you've got a chance to maybe go to Harvard, that might seem to make a, a, a big difference. But um, if you just go get average skills um, from an average place, does it really make a difference? I mean, still, still the, the best, most recent research evidence still suggests that it does make a difference. It does. Um, and, and, and that on average, it still will, will pay off. Um, but what it means for it to pay off may, may look different now yes. than it did 20 years ago. Um, and, and again, this is on average. We're talking about the middle the middle of the pack, right? And, right? and there may be plenty of people at the, excuse me, lower of the lower end of the distribution of benefit. Maybe fully, you know, twenty to thirty percent of the folks who are have that degree and, and have a higher level of debt, who who are not seeing the degree of payoff that they had hoped. Yeah. Well, and and then there's kind of the for-profit universities that others might feel like are gouging. And anyway, so it, it's a really complicated issue, but I appreciate the insight. Uh, Sean M. Doherty is his name and uh, assistant professor of education policy and leadership at the NEG School of Education, still in debate on that one, and an affiliated faculty member in the Department of Public Policy at the University of Connecticut. Great, great resource. And folks, I mean, in the end, it's it's about choice, right? It, it comes down to choice. It also comes down to uh, your family values and maybe your own grit, your own determination, your ability to go out and do the hard things. So, I mean, how could you argue against more information, more education, more skills? In the end, we all want that, right? We all need that. We'll continue the journey, folks, and continue talking about uh, choice. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. Yes, folks. You know, it's important to get an education right. And uh, you might not even believe this, but did you know that you also may be sneezing wrong? You just may not be sneezing the right way. 
Experts say the technique that you use is crucial to stopping the spread of deadly influenza. How's this? Get the No. That doesn't sound right? That sounds horrible. Oh. No, you're going to hurt somebody. So a deadly outbreak of flu has experts calling for a change of, of uh, you know, the rules for sneezing, sneezing habits. The current method of catch it, bin it, kill it isn't enough to contain the germs. Children, children's hygiene habits are under scrutiny with the push for more education. And uh, here's why. Listen to basically, I guess, in the end, we've got to figure out, do you, do you catch it, then throw it in the garbage and to, to eliminate it, or are there other ways to do this? University of Sydney Associate Professor Guy Eslick uh, told the Daily Telegraph, the current method of using a tissue to capture the potentially harmful spray is wrong, and a better way uh, would be to adopt the elbow sneeze. The elbow sneeze? Sneeze, yeah, you're supposed to sneeze into your, it's like doing the dab when you dab. Um, you're supposed to sneeze into the, the what do they call that, like the fold of your elbow. Yeah. It's your elbow pit, yeah. Yeah, your elbow pit. Um, and it's uh, – the benefit, I guess, of, of this is that um, children were almost were taught almost every day about sneezing into their elbow and it all comes back to public education. They're finding out those kids that sneeze into their elbow are less likely to have the virus spread through their classes mm-hmm. than those kids that sneeze into a Kleenex, blow their nose in the Kleenex. And then maybe set their Kleenex down on their desk, maybe put the Kleenex in the garbage can. So maybe don't do it right in somebody's face either. Yeah. I wouldn't do it in their face. Yeah, that's a bad one. I wouldn't try to hold the sneeze in. We all know that's just funny. Now, it what makes if, funny noises. What if I sneeze into somebody else's elbow pit? That's – or yeah, or what do you do when your elbow pit has been all used up? Then you just have to borrow someone else's elbow pit. Come here, honey. I'll let you I'm borrow I'm short mine. on dry spaces on my elbow pit. Well, you're not even wearing a long sleeve shirt. So if you have a cold, you ought to wear a long sleeve shirt. But the other thing is don't touch anyone's elbow now either. You never know what you're going to pick up. But the rule, don't just blow it and toss it and get rid of it that way. Use your – and don't and – don't, Wipe it on your jeans. Don't do any of the other things that you see. Just blow it in your elbow pit. Little advice from the Matt Townsend Show to help you live longer. We'll continue the journey at next hour. Stick with us. Having fun right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Top of the morning to you. Happy Friday, folks. You made it another week. We are so proud of you. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang's gathered to make everything happen for you today. We want to give you everything you need to get into the weekend. We really, I mean, if we if we want to be true, I think, to the show, we probably ought to talk about the NFL game last night. True. I mean, the Chiefs looked pretty good. They seem to... Uh, they, they beat the Patriots. Right. And, I mean, as it started out, the Patriots seemed to... Uh, they seemed pretty dominant. ...have kind of the upper hand a little bit. It, yeah. it was like 17-7 to 7 at one point, and yep. then the Chiefs scored some touchdowns, and then all of a sudden I had to go to bed because, you know, we work. Yeah. And all of a sudden the score flipped, and the Chiefs blew them out like 42-27. 42-27. So, yeah, it's just... 
And you look at Alex Smith, who uh, I was just reading a quote. He Everyone calls him a game manager. Yeah. In the last seven straight games, the Chiefs have had at least one scoring play over 70 yards. Wow. Mm, that's, that's pretty. But I bet you if you go back and look at the pass, it was yeah. probably a 10-yard pass. Because that's all Alex Smith can really no, this, manage. No, this was a long pass. It, it <laughs> was just, it really? but the guy just, I saw the one last night was really long. So. That was a neat. It was just a great. It was almost like a screen play or something, and the guy had just a broke wide open. open. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But the, the Bleacher Report is talking about how Alex Smith embarrassed Bilichek's defense. Wow. wow, just picked it apart. Huh? Just I guess picked it apart. He was getting uh, both quarterbacks were getting really good uh, protection from the offensive line. Meaning yeah. nobody was in their face as they were trying to throw the ball. And when you can do that, you can stand back there and have the luxury of deciding who to throw to it's instead of exciting. panicking and throwing. I used to be a little ticked off about Thursday night football because I thought the NFL was hogging Monday night, Sunday night. Thursday night. Right. But I like it now. See, I, I'm not happy with Thursday night because Thursday and Monday and uh, the Sunday night game are like the showcase games. Yeah. And Thursday, they usually throw like, you know, Tampa Bay and Buffalo. Like, hey, nobody hey, wants hey, to watch hey, that. Hey, hey. <laughs> we love them. We do? Yeah. We love Buffalo Wings. Mm. Yeah. And Tampa Bay is going to be hit by Irma. I mean, um, well, they can get that pirate ship. Kind of unlock that from the end zone in the stadium and float that out to sea or something. <laughs> Remember when Thursday used to be must-see TV? Yeah. And you'd have Friends and Seinfeld mm-hmm. and Will and Grace. Yeah, those days are long gone. Long gone. Mm. Now, now you just Netflix to... it. And you Netflix it's it true. on Saturday or Sunday or when you want to quit or not go to work. <laughs> you just watch it then. Or I loved it. I watched a lot of uh, Seinfeld when I was uh, – when I had my gallbladder out. Oh. So if you want to watch more of it, just blow your gallbladder up. Oh, good tip. That's all I have to do. Some insight from the Matt Townsend Show. So much to cover today. We will also be talking, doing some empty news. A mom fires a gun found at a mall to see if it was real. You got to check. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's other ways to check. How's right? that? Well, I mean, you could... Check the weight? Take the magazine out. I don't know. When I was a kid, I took one of my plastic guns... And I took it apart. Oh, yeah, I did that, too. And then I took these weights that we used for my Pinewood Derby car, and it, they had glue. You just peel the, the stick off the back. You and peel you the sticker. You weighted the gun down so it, the handle felt real. So you can't just go that. You know, I was playing with fire. But, yeah, I had yeah. A, uh, my gun. <laughs> and then I took some a black marker and colored in the orange tip around oh, this the- is, this I got this one right before that came into Vogue, became yeah. laws, yeah. Was By the deal. way, I just got an email. Our BYU broadcasting psychologists are listening to this show today. Oh, no. Oh. I thought I was the BYU broadcasting psychologist. You're wrong. Okay. Just, See, this is where checking. I'm confused about what, what your actual, I guess, educational – what mm. can we justify calling you? He's questioning your credentials. Are you a psychologist? Is it a well, sociologist? Well, is it a marriage counselor? Is it, what Are you a mediator? Not a sociologist. You, you seem to, Sociopathy. You seem, to, a, you seem to try to accept all of these labels at the same time. Well, because I, I am a doctor. Well, you say you're a doctor. Then you actually give health advice, which again causes more confusion. No, then I the – anytime day, I give health advice, I say I'm not that kind of a doctor. The other day you were like prognosticating end of the world type <laughs> scenarios. That yeah, was that a wonderful was, day. Well, that was me as a visionary. Well, and by the way, tell me it's not coming true. Well, I mean, the earthquake in Mexico saw, and now in Japan. And all fires I saw all was an orange moon. Right. And it seemed like it was turning to a blood moon. Which it wasn't, but. Yeah. it was, And I found out later, it's just, we have a fire in there's, our neighborhood. There's mm-hmm. fires and it 
Smoke, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I'm a social psychologist. Okay. But I don't, but you're think when you think psychologist, you think somebody on a couch. Yeah. But that's actually not psychology. That would be psychiatry. Well, you do, you dabble in that too. Not really. Mm. No, psychiatry think- would be an MD. And I'd, I've never dabbled in that except for to give advice about moles and other, you know, mm. other. I think our minds Gross. always go to the couch because that's ultimately where we'd like to end up. Yeah. On the couch. Good nap. I used to make a joke about how I don't even have a couch in my office. You should. But now I do. Because you, you get to those conversations constantly. I do. Which, again, comes back to the confusion of what exactly your credential to but talk But I think about. I'm only – I think the only one confused is you. I've had some students come to me with some concerns, Matt. Well, all they have to do is read my bio. It's pretty simple. Where, it's too long. And where is it, really? It's just at matttownsend.com. I mean, <sighs> if I were going to work for somebody. It's not on Facebook? Yeah, it's probably on Facebook, too. 60% of Americans get all of their information basically from Facebook. That explains <laughs> a lot of our problems on this earth. Because Facebook, it's, it's not a news source. No. And they're 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 having some problems now that some of the ads for the election came through a Russian troll farm. Yeah. But when they went to Congress and said, "Hey, that stuff came through a Russian troll farm," then Congress said, "Hey, can we see an example of one of these ads?" And they're like, "Ah, eh, no." Nah. They're also miscalculating um, ad uh, information that they give advertisers. To say your ad is going to reach this many people. Yeah. They're off by like ten million. It's it's great. It, yeah, Facebook may be in trouble. Sure. Unless, of course, their leader becomes the president. Then he'll just pass some laws and we're good. Then Zucker? Good. Zuckerberg? Yeah. Speaking of, by the Zucker way. Zucker Fatberg? No, that was Fatbergs were yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Big response on Twitter from Fatbergs, really? by the People way. love Fatbergs. Yeah. I brought it up in a meeting yesterday and everybody's like, tell us more about that. And where I'm can like, I get me, me some of that? <laughs> where can I get where can I get that Fatberg special the, sauce? The video with the sewer worker in London with a shovel, mm-hmm. that's, that's the most that's high-quality video of rich. a Fatberg. Yeah. That's a rich video. <laughs> uh, did you see this video of uh, the living – all of the living former oh, yeah. U.S. presidents are rallying to gain – to get money together for um, hurricane victims in Hurricane Harvey? Yep. It's, so Carter's the oldest – no, no, no. Bush is the oldest, Bush, right? Yeah, and the oldest Carter, uh, Clinton – Bush Jr. and Obama, Obama are all in it. Interesting they didn't invite the Trump, well, President Trump. Well, but it seems like – And he fired out a tweet with the hashtag, so he's all oh, on yeah. board so too. he's on so. board too. He just wasn't well, I mean, in the picture. He was in North Dakota talking about his daughter calling him daddy, creeping everybody out. So he was busy that day when they filmed the I think they the purposely <laughs> planned it for when he was going to be out of town. You think? Oh, sorry. You're not uh, going to be available. I, but I bet, I bet it looks like – they – the video – I don't believe they got the presidents all together, did they? Didn't they have all different well, videos? Yeah, you fly around. So you just could, yeah, have, yeah. you could just fly the photographer to wherever President Trump was. He's busy though. Well, no one's that busy. He's trying to figure out how to side with the Democrats more just because he doesn't like Mitch McConnell. That's really what's happening right now. Trying to figure out how can he succeed and make Mitch McConnell – who he – is. I, I heard – I saw this today. Yeah. He thinks he's low energy. Mitch? And he's weak. Mitch? Mitch McConnell is a leader. He thinks he's a weak, low-energy leader. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's probably not what you say to the people <laughs> that are supporting you. Yeah, pretty much. And, and if – I mean I was, he's right about – Mitch is I a little low-energy. I was thinking this. Energy. If the Russia investigation like materializes into something legal, yeah. you're going to need the 
Republicans to not impeach you. Yeah. And if you keep doing stuff like this, they're not going to be on your side. Well, and now all the talk is, do the Democrats not remember what Trump does to anybody? Well, that too. So now certain Democrats in a few months are going to have a beatdown. But it seems like a lot of people like that there's at least a, a slight tenor of bipartisanship. A little bit. Tiny, tiny, itty bitty, tiny bit. Some people are speculating that President Trump did this because he didn't want to have a fight over funding for a hurricane. He felt like that needed to be the priority. Yeah. And the debt ceiling was something they could deal with. Well, and other in three pe- months. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is Trump has no ideology, so he'll well, just go yeah. with whatever is serves him. And tomorrow's another day, so we'll just turn it. There were way. the reports that he woke up, turned on the TV, and goes, "Hey, everyone really likes my decision to go with the Democrats. It's all oh, over TV." Boy. Did he take it out of the wall budget? No, wall is safe. The wall, <laughs> yeah, no one's touching that wall. So, congrats to the president. I think that's really cool. Uh, you do wonder was it the were it, was it the former presidents that made the decision to not have the current president in, or was it the current president that didn't want to be a part of it? Hmm. It just seems like there's. There's power with all of them. Could be. And wouldn't president – There's also power without all of them. <laughs> totally. And and wouldn't it make sense that President Trump would also love to have the presidents raise as much money as possible so as not to have to always pay everything through the government? Right. Anyway, it is, it's just lovely to see people that used to fight together – not together, but in the well, same. Do you remember when President Obama brought all the existing presidents yeah, to the White House? Really powerful. Do you think Trump can pull that off? I'm, I'm going to bet there will be a lot of you know sick days. People are like, ah, oh, I have the I have the flu. I'm going to bet some don't want to show up right now. Hmm? Give them a few years. See what happens. I mean, Trump's only been in like eight months. Give you got to give president you got to give a president some, like three a four years. You got to give him three well, or by, four years. By two years into this, this will be a whole different game. Guaranteed. Will it? Yeah. Uh, now let's go to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what's coming up around the rest of the country. What should we be paying attention to, Terry? Floridians began a mass exodus on Thursday's Hurricane Irma, the powerful category now four storm, plowed through the Caribbean towards the Sunshine State. Thousands of cars headed north, causing interstate backups and slowdowns. Drivers waited for hours at gas stations, some of which ran out of fuel. Travelers stood in line for hours at airports. There were videos yesterday of police cars escorting uh, fuel trucks into populated areas so as not to be stopped by anyone really? or accosted by anyone. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Based on Irma's projected path, which includes Florida's heavily populated eastern coast, the enormous storm could create one of the largest mass evacuations in U.S. history. Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach uh-huh. counties combined to have 6 million people. People should get out now, Florida Governor Rick Scott warned on Thursday's news conference. If they wait until Saturday or Sunday, when high winds and rain are expected to lash South Florida, it will be too late. It's going to be, I mean, again, just flooding, just the wind disaster, the wind damage. No, it's going to be crazy. But hey, it'll be on TV. Pray for them. Everybody pray for Florida. Massive amounts of rain that Hurricane Harvey layered over Houston apparently caused the entire metropolitan area to temporarily sink by two centimeters. Chris Milner, a postdoctoral fellow at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory at California's Institute of Technology, told the Houston Chronicle, GPS data shows that the flood was so large it flexed Earth the Earth's crust, pushing Houston down. What? A gallon of water weighs about 8.3 pounds, and Harvey brought a record 51 inches of rain, making it plausible that the flooding would have weighed heavily on Houston 
literally. Yeah. Uh, Miller assured the Chronicle that this is a temporary drop, though. Once floodwaters recede, we should expect a similar but opposite elastic response from the crust. It'll pop back, Milner said, uh, similar to if you were to jump on and off your mattress. Okay. Except still, I mean, the entire city of Houston drops by two centimeters. But think about how much fluid you'd have to have on your mattress to make it drop that much. And then you mess up your mattress. Right. And then the crust of it all. It'll never be the same. (laughs) Mattress crust. The newest Uh, product from the Matt Townsend (laughs) show. (laughs) Yeah. A U.S. appeals court on Thursday rejected the Trump administration's efforts to reinstate key parts of the president's travel ban on foreigners from six Muslim-majority countries. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, of course it's the Ninth Circuit, Ninth Circuit, ruled that grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins of Americans from those six nations can be admitted to the U.S. The ruling also means that refugees already assigned to resettlement groups can enter the country. Okay. So just more courts and Trump. and The courts just keep... Messing with Trump. And finally, yes, conspiracy theorists are keeping a watchful eye. What? On Thursday morning, with Hurricane Irma churning just 900 miles away, SpaceX launched a U.S. Air Force X-37B space plane atop a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket from the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. Okay, okay. This marked the Elon Musk-founded company's first launch for the Air Force. They've done work for NASA, done some work for some private companies. Now Air Force helps uh, is using them. The un uh, the uncrewed airplane, it's like a drone, right? Ooh, is headed off on a super secret mission that is scheduled to last 270 days. The only clues the Air Force dropped for what it hopes to accomplish on this highly classified mission were that the primary objectives of the X-37B, that's the most like conspiratorial yeah. thing right there, X-37B, are twofold. What? Reusable aircraft technologies mm-hmm. for America's future in space yeah. and operating experiments which can be returned to and examined on Earth. <laughs> So reusable aircraft, understand, yeah. spacecraft. But what are these experiments? Well. What are they doing in space that they don't want to tell anyone about? It's, uh, Is this a spy plane? Are they yes. putting up some sort it's of. It's going to North Korea. <laughs> have we made contact with the aliens and this is our first offering of peace? No. Remember, oh. we, we're, we're no. They don't want to talk to us. They're, they're frustrated with Earthlings right M- now. Maybe they're like, wow, they have a drone space plane. Huh. Maybe that's it. There, no, the drone's going to North Korea, and it will just circle North Korea for the next foreseeable know. future. Mm-hmm. Okay, I well, guess two hundred eighty hmm. days. Two hundred, yeah. And, and they say that two hundred seventy day number is negotiable depending on the successful outcomes of these quote unquote experiments. Yeah. So if they Whoa. can find out more information about North Korea sooner, they'll just bring that bad boy home. Hmm. Maybe they're literally testing the aliens. You know, like. Uh, what are those remedial tests that we get? Yeah. Um, what, what are the what's the like acronym? When you get one? pulled over and they and they make you walk the line, touch your nose. Oh, okay. It's kind of like that. Hmm. Say the alphabet backwards, mm-hmm. which I don't think many people could actually accomplish. G Y X W V U T S R Q P O N M L K J I F. I totally get arrested. Wow. Sounds like you've been down this road before. Okay. I practice the DUI test all the time. He walks through the parking lot and just like balances on lines yeah. and all kinds of stuff. It's great. <laughs> it's a re- it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard test, and they're tricky. I've been I've been in a jury where they were using that test to convict a guy of a DUI. That's not nice. It was a great day spent in the service of my community. <laughs> 
and I heard the entire thing. We heard everything, tons of ar- great arguments going on between both attorneys. We were ready to to decide, and then hmm? the guy pled. Oh, I hate that. Mm, we were this close to putting him in the pokey, and then he pled. <sighs> and then it's interesting. Then after the attorneys come up to us and they pick our brains, what were you thinking? Really? What were you, how were you going to go? What were you thinking? What which presentation did you like more? Who was more believable? Like both of them or mm-hmm. separately? They came up actually together. Wow. And then it's like this weird pressure. Do I tell the attorney, the defense attorney, that I hated him? See, I kind of thought you were a jerk. <laughs> and uh, this guy, yeah, let him you marry were, my you, kid. I think the defense attorney was playing us. Wow. And I felt played. You're a liar. So we were about to send your man to the pokey. So Wait, did, you, did a, you say this? or mm-hmm. I just said, well, I felt like you were a little manipulative. A lawyer wow. that lies? Yeah. He wasn't Come lying. On. He was defending his... Client. Yeah, it's different. Hmm. He so wasn't lying. He was just saying, well, here's an example. Hmm. Maybe is it possible that the guy had an injury that caused him to not be able to do the test? Is that possible? Wow. And in my head, I'm like, oh, so did he have an injury? Well, no, he, he didn't say that. He must have had an injury. No, he didn't say that, no. He's telling the cop, did you ask the guy if he has an injury? He just said, what and if? The cop's like, no, I didn't ask him if he had an injury. Well, isn't that what DWI stands for, driving while injured? Oh, yeah, no, intoxicated. So he came up, hmm. and then, so I'm starting <laughs> to believe this guy. Oh, so the guy must have an injury. Did you know that he had had surgery? If he had had surgery, would that have changed any of your view of this? Hmm. And he's like, well, it would have depended where he had surgery. Well, what if he had had surgery in his hip? Would he, and that would that make it harder for him to do this this walk the line thing. And the whole time I'm like, the guy's had hip problems and he's mm. not even – and then the defense – or the prosecuted attorney gets up and says, uh, have you had surgery? No. Have you yeah. – were you at a bar drinking? Oh, yeah. I thought you can't <laughs> throw out hypotheticals and you can't oh. speculate. No, apparently. But it sounds like he, he was, was no, doing he was actually, he wasn't. He wasn't – he was actually just asking questions to, a, to the cop. If these things were there, would that have changed the test? And none of those things were there. Wow. It was a great, it was a great lesson. On how to parent? Mm-hmm. On how to... Hypothetical your child and do whatever? How to whatever. work the system. Mm-hmm. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger and lead healthier, happier lives. Right here on BYU Radio. Well, on Friday, you know, we always like to clean up all of our files and uh, some of our stories in the empty news file. They're, they're stories that we, we just want to talk to you about. Maybe there's a little life lesson hidden inside. It's the news you don't always get when you watch the regular, the big, the big news agencies. It's called Empty News for Matt Townsend News. And our great uh, news anchor is Jeff Simpson. Jeff, take it away. The Empty News Team, first on the scene. Fifth on facts. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's go with mom fires mom? a gun. Okay, so we talked earlier about this. How you know it should be obvious how to determine what's real and what's not in yeah. terms of guns. Should be a no-brainer. And ammunition, right? Like there's guns and there's a real gun, and when you see a real gun, you would kind of know it. It weighs a lot. Weighs a lot. It's, yeah, you mentioned you could take out the magazine mm-hmm. and check for the bullets. You could just smell it. It would smell like <laughs> gunpowder. 
Well, apparently uh, this mom at this mall didn't quite understand what a gun looked like. Police say a boy found a gun in a dressing room at an Atlanta mall, and it fired when the mother pulled the trigger to see if it was real. The mother and her son were inside a dressing room at a shoe store, and uh, the 10-year-old boy found what he thought was a toy gun under the bench. And Atlanta police say the mother took the gun from the boy and pulled the trigger... What? ...to see if it was real. A single shot was fired, and uh, Brown says there were no injuries... There was minimal damage to the wall. No charges have been filed, and the case remains under investigation. I mean, is that... I mean, it's a gun. So, it didn't, like, dawn on her... If if you've ever fired a gun, they're loud. Oh, yeah. So, if you're... Just imagine that you're in a changing room, a dressing room, and you find a gun. She probably realized it after she shot it. Oh, yeah. And saw the mark in the wall. And even the trigger, when you pull the trigger, it's... They're, sometimes they're hard to pull. Like, it's in a very intentional act. So is the best way to check if something's, like, loaded and a real gun, is, is it the best way to to pull the trigger? <laughs> or would it be better to just hold it out with two fingers and call 911 and have the police come and say, I think this is real. But I guess you don't want to be embarrassed by them saying, no, ma'am, that's sure. a squirt gun. Well, and what the story doesn't mention is that uh, she took it apart first, cleaned it, put it back together, <laughs> and then shot it. Just yeah. to make sure that it was real. Die! Die! Bam! That's crazy. Well, okay, that's one way to do it. Okay, uh, here's another one. Yeah. If you had to choose between your phone or food, mm-hmm. what would you do? What time of day is it? Because <laughs> i got to know what time of day it is. If... if if uh, I would probably, if I'm hungry, right? If it's like lunchtime, I'd go with food. But okay. Then I don't know if I could eat without my phone because I need to read something. You'd yeah, you'd probably be using your phone while you're eating. Yeah, I like to read. Yeah. Uh huh. So uh, it's the ultimate dilemma for a college student: phone or free food. Oh, I forgot to mention free food. Oh. Would that change your decision at all? What kind of food? So that's the choice presented by Pocket Points, a smartphone app that encourages students to turn off their phones on campus. Yeah, they have Pocket Points here at BYU. They do? Yeah. Well, it rewards them with discounts and free food at local eateries when they do this. The Student Senate at Wichita State University unanimously passed a resolution this week supporting Pocket Points and encouraging students to use it. And a growing list of Wichita merchants Mm. is offering discounts through the program said student body president Paige Hungate. If uh, our students do it. In fact, Palakiko, who is one of our students that can take the smallest budget and make it last the longest. <laughs> I don't know a nicer way to say that. He but, lives off of spam. But he, he does. But he will. He's very uh, regularly on, on, this, on this app. Pocket points. You know, and, you know, there are other businesses that do this as well. Like we've got a a theater chain here that when you go into the movie, if you will put your phone in a certain mode Mm. during the movie, then when you turn it off after the movie, they'll give you points. Wow. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. How do they trust that? Well, it's all done electronically. I don't know the – I don't know the details – don't I don't know. ask why. I just accept the points and move on. Yeah. 
they just again what they're trying to do is oh they give you an app and you load an app and then you use their buttons and then their buttons control your phone and then the next thing you know they're implanting a chip into your neck ooh not to get not to get aggressive on you i thought our conspiracy segment was earlier in the show no i'm finding it's really fun to throw a conspiracy out there here and now okay do you think do we have time for one more one more empty news story hit it jeffrey so Imagine you're driving down the freeway and you see somebody who has a casket on the top of their car. On the top of their car. Someone's coming from Costco. There were likely a few drivers uh, doing double takes on I-30 in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Police noticed a black Hummer with a casket attached to its roof. It was parked on the side of the interstate. According to the highway department... Patrol officers pulled over to make sure everything was okay. Then the driver fled, leading police on a chase. Oh, boy. He was eventually caught, arrested, and charged with reckless driving, fleeing a vehicle, and fictitious tags. The driver was identified as 39-year-old Kevin Chalowski. <laughs> At this point, police do not know what Chalowski was doing with a casket. Okay. <laughs> Why are you doing that? It's just a little spooky. Yeah, it was. Um, okay. it's If you're going to have a casket... Yes. ...on your car, mm-hmm. like on the roof... Yeah. ...lashed down, you got to make sure you're not in a stolen car. <laughs> and you got to have the right now, tags. Now, wait a minute. Nobody said anything about a stolen car. Well, the tags weren't right. So some, either the car was stolen or the tags were stolen. Okay. Or you didn't want to pay your taxes. But you'd want your car up to date and legal if, because I thought they pulled them over because they had a casket. Yeah. So if you have a casket or if you're going to like, I don't know, have a body on the top of your roof, you probably ought to make sure your car's legit. I always love seeing people transport things on the top of their cars that clearly they should not be doing. Yeah. How about the mattress? Oh, Have yeah. you seen the mattress people holding yep. down a mattress? Each That's yep. where you got to take your wife to the mattress store because you need her right hand while you hold it down with your left hand. I remember we were on the... <laughs> it's true, Mitt Romney and his dog. So we were driving down the freeway one time, and I, I can't remember if it was a mattress or a piece of furniture, but there were four guys in a car. They all had their hands out holding yeah. it on top yeah. there, and... My wife rolls down the window to take a picture of it because she just thought it was hilarious. She wants a viral moment. And the guy in the driver's seat flipped us the bird. Really? Yep. Well, like, don't make fun of us. We didn't have any rope. I'm sure that's what it was. Um, Do do they not realize, though, you know, when you're heading 45 miles an hour with a, I don't know how much a mattress weighs, 40 pounds, 50 pound mattress, I don't know. Uh, So you clearly have never rotated or moved the mattress. Well, I have. Your wife does all that. I've never weighed it. Have you ever weighed your mattress? It's big. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's right. Well, yeah. And Terry brings up a gross point. Um, Mattress crest. Depends if, yeah, it depends how many, how long you've had the mattress and how many skin cells have fallen onto it. Um, So... But it's it's really just going to become a sale. It's it's going to lift your car up. That's there's this thing called lift, and when like apparently more air is going over the top of an object than under it, I guess it creates lift. 
Hmm. And so the mattress is going to lift and there's a point that your nubby little hands aren't going to be able to hold on. And then all of a sudden, it's your mattress is in the middle of I-5. I didn't know you ever noticed my hands before. Yeah. A little flattered. I wish you would have chosen a different word other than nubby. Nubby or, yeah. Yeah. Well, the hand fits. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that phrase. Yeah. Grandma used to say it all the time. Anyway, okay, so that's Did weird. she have a prosthetic hand no, or something? No, no, no. Okay. No, she had great hands. Um, nubby is a, it's, it's a term <laughs> of endearment. Really? It's a term of endearment. Okay. I mean, it sounds negative, not meant to be negative. It's a very positive sounding thing. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you and your little nubbins hold on to the mattress. Stick with us. Having fun. It is Friday, folks, so it's time to get into some of our tech news, some of the news that you uh, didn't know you needed to know, but you are going to want to know this. I don't know if you believe this, but you, apparently your cell phone, not clean. Yeah. Not clean. And these come out every once in a while. You'll hear about a study yeah. trying to scare you. It doesn't scare anyone. Everyone still holds their phone. And... Yeah, but this makes me. this made me gag when you mentioned it. It says most people don't give a second thought to using their cell phone everywhere, but for their, uh, what it says, from their morning commute to the dinner table to the doctor's office. But research shows cell phones are far dirtier than most people think, and the more germs they collect, the more germs you touch. <sighs> In fact, your own hand is the biggest culprit when it comes to putting filth on your phone. Americans check their phones about 47 times a day, according to some surveys, which afford plenty of opportunities for microorganisms to move from your fingers to your phone. See, I don't know what's more disgusting the fact that our hand is dirtier or what what was it again that the the phone is dirtier than the toilet or the fact that we're checking our phones 47 times a day yeah those are both kind of sad <coughs> yeah are you okay jeff so it says because people are always carrying their cell phones even in situations where they would normally wash their hands before doing anything cell phones do tend to get pretty gross yeah yeah this i is, mean how many times have you heard a phone go off in the restroom and the guys like hello this is from uh, Emily Martin, an assistant professor of epidemiology at Michigan, at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Research has varied on how many germs are crawling on the average cell phone, but a recent study found more than 17,000 bacterial gene copies on the phone of a high school student. Oh, that is a high school student. Scientists at the University of Arizona found that cell phones carry as many as 10 times more bacteria than most toilet seats, which is the headline for this article. In Time Magazine. <sighs> you bring up a good point there. A lot of people that are talking on their phones in the bathroom. It's well, just, that too. It's disgusting. Hello? You're fired. Oh, I, no, I'm not in the bathroom. No. <laughs> Whenever somebody is on the phone in the bathroom, though. It's so weird. No, I start flushing toilets. <laughs> I flush every toilet I can get to. It says human skin is naturally covered in microbes that don't usually have any negative health consequences. And that natural bacteria plus the oils on your hands get passed onto your phone every time you check a text or send an email. It follows that most of the organisms found on the phone are not pathogens that will make you sick. The researcher says staphylococcus might be present, for example, but it's not typically the kind that would give you a staph infection. Just the cockle infection. So, yeah. Those are the worst. It's brutal. 
I'm going to say wash your hands and hope for the best. So I'm sitting no, – hold on. Let me phrase that better. Oh, OK. So I'm in a restroom. Yeah. And I just walk in and this restaurant, restaurant – this restroom only has one stall. Mm. You may have seen it yeah. here at BYU Broadcasting. OK. And um, somebody's sitting there and then their phone drops to the floor. Yes. So if you dropped your phone mm-hmm. on the floor of a restroom – Yeah. How quick would you be to pick it up? Pretty fast. It's my phone. Yeah. I yeah, would... but we just had a guest on the show that basically debunked the five-second rule. Yeah. But not on a restroom floor. Well, I mean, yeah. then, then you go and you maybe have some means of cleaning off your phone like and I, then you well, wash your hands. Well, I would – Light it on fire? Toilet paper. <laughs> Just fire. I these restrooms here are like the cleanest restrooms no, these are, anyway. Yeah, you could eat off. But I mean, your yeah. your average public sometimes. restroom. Yeah, you're gonna have some concern. Yeah, I just I would have let it sit there. <laughs> Never touching you again. Then you finish your business. Then you use toilet paper to pick it up. Then you go spend some time washing it. Right. Maybe a power wash. Do a power wash. Take it down to the super car wash, super yeah. wash or uh-huh. something down this, the street. This okay. guest was also saying that a little dirt is good for us. Yeah. Right. Helps build a no, resistance. No, it's totally true. A yeah. little dirt is good for you, but a little grime off the bathroom floor. Yeah. Staphylococcus. Caucus. So it's, and this this is a different story <laughs> as we're moving on here. As I yeah, keep I, going. Keep I hear moving. people asking for this. Between smartphones and tablets, Americans spend more than half their digital media consumption time. Fifty-seven percent, in fact, in apps. Yeah. According to uh, some studies have been done. This is about the same as a year ago. Evidence that the dramatic shift to mobile has now elevated, uh, leveled out in the U.S. These are the winners. Which are the uh, top used? The, they're, they're, uh, which are the, uh, let's see here, it says the big winners. So wh- the top 10 most popular apps mm-hmm. on mobile phones in the United States. Top 10? Yeah, what would you, what would you give the top? Uh, I would say... Um, What's I would, number one? Uh, number one would be Facebook. Well, first off, Facebook and Google own eight of the top 10. Boring. So I'd say Facebook, then Instagram. Let's see here. Gmail. Number two was uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. YouTube is owned by Google. Right. Uh, number one uh, oh, would be Google. So one was search, Facebook. The search engine. One was Facebook. Two oh. is YouTube. Okay. Three, Instagram. Twitter. Three is Facebook Messenger. Really? Yeah. Because that's why they broke it out of People Facebook. People use that? Oh, yeah. A lot. Really? Because it, it tie, then all this your messages. This is boring, though. So all your two, message, yeah. two companies own the top 10 apps? Yeah. We didn't mention Apple, though. Well, they know the top eight apps. Okay. In fact, well, Apple. app is actually short for applications. Not, yeah. not apple location. Application. So I guess what would be easier is what two apps of the top 10 are not owned by Google and Facebook? Twitter. I don't see Twitter. But Twitter's not that big, I don't think. No. Uh, Is it the Kardashian oh, app? CNN. Like, like it'll be a news, a drudge report. No. And so none of them are news no. apps. Mm-mm. Um. Oh, uh, Jeff Tinder. No. <laughs> no. Not Tinder. Jeff Tinder? Yeah. I was going to say Jeff's on this one all the time. Jeff's, Jeff's on this but one. Jeff's married. Jeff's no. never touched Tinder. I, I don't even know what Tinder is. Yeah, we'll, t- we'll explain it at a break. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, what could the app uh, – dro- Dropbox. Nope. Pandora is number 10. I have Pandora. What about Spotify? No. 
what else is on my phone that would make a difference here? Sims? SimCity 2017. No. Deer Hunter. Deer, no. Deer Hunter 2017. Snapchat. Oh, really? Snapchat is tied for sixth. Wow. Snapchat. Yeah. That's the, the them young kids are using that there Snapchat thing. So number one is Facebook. Two is the YouTube app. Three is Facebook Messenger. Hmm. Four is Google Maps. Five is Google Play. Yeah. Which is their app store media consumption website. It's Android uh, users. Let's see. Number six, they have them all. Number six is Instagram. Yeah. Which is tied with Snapchat at 50% penetration. Um, and then Gmail and Pandora and then, you know. So wow. I don't know. It, it's interesting yeah. that, like you said, none of it has to do with um, like the news. Twitter's not on there because Twitter doesn't have quite the – the, the, yeah, it the, doesn't the, have the pull. The base that everyone else has. Um, I mean, ooh, unless you're a newsie, you know, that's or a professor. Right. They, they talk about Venmo being a very fast-growing app. A lot is of people it? using it for the digital transfer of money. So that'll be like the number one – that might be the number one financial app or is PayPal like money-based I don't know. app. Hmm. I don't know. So it's it, that's just – I mean, it starts wow. with, with Facebook. So Facebook and Google own eight of the ten top ten apps yeah. on phones in this country. Right. Pretty soon there won't be apps, just implants. And your fi- your final tech sort of news, yeah, tech 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 date, tech update. The James Bond tech sweepstakes. The James Bond sweepstakes has taken an unexpected turn. While Warner Brothers remains the lead to land the film distribution rights to the mega franchise, whose deal with Sony expired after the 2015 movie Spectre, a couple of unlikely suitors have emerged that are also in hot pursuit: Apple and Amazon. They want distribution rights. Wow. But t- so, so Warner Brothers owns it to do the They movie. remain likely to land the distribution rights, but huh. it's still open. And so they're, nego- they're, 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 they're trying to and feel Apple, everybody out. So, but Apple's, Apple will win because all app – Please stop. All APPLE has to do is throw down a lot of cash. Or Amazon. Yeah. Either oh, one. Wow. So the tech giants are willing to spend in the same ballpark as the Warners, if not much more for the rights, sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. MGM has been looking for a deal for more than two years, and Sony and Universal and Fox also have been pursuing the property, with Warners and Sony the most aggressive. But the emergence of Apple, which is considered such a viable competitor that Warner is now pressing MGM hard to close the deal. And Amazon shows the digital giants consider Bond one of the last untapped brands like Marvel, Pixar, or Lucasfilm that could act as a game changer in the content space. Apple and Amazon's inclusion in the chase would indicate that more is on the table than film rights, including the future of the franchise if MGM will sell or license out for the right price. Well, okay. Why... It's MGM's oh. fault, by the way, that we had to wait so long in between uh, Bond films because it went bankrupt. Well, so why? Here's the deal: if let's say that you're Apple and you couldn't get your James Bond franchise, okay, why not just create your own character names named Jaime Blonde <laughs> and make your own 008 sure. show? You could make a you know try to make your own franchise. The problem is. The mind share is already with Bond. So you say Bond and people just show up. Yeah, but when you say blonde. But you show up with your own thing, it's going to take a while. It's not. It's going to be a uh, probably a shadow of what Bond yeah, would be and people wouldn't true. enjoy it. Plus, I guess you wouldn't have. Do they 
Do they get the distribution rights to all of the old Bond movies? I don't know. I think that's what the film Legally Blonde is about. Blonde. Legally Blonde. Hmm. I've seen Legally Blonde. Not a lot of gunfire there. What they're saying is the valuation of the franchise may be between anywhere between two and five billion dollars. If the whole package comes due, this is just distribution rights. But if you get the yeah. rights to the the movie and all of it all together, yeah. so how bad do you want it? Apple yeah. and Amazon, hmm, huh, hmm. Also, huh? A- Amazon announced that they're looking to make a second headquarters. Yeah, they have their their main headquarters in Seattle, I believe. Now they want a second headquarters somewhere in the United States, and they're open for bidding. Anyone who wants to toss uh, in a, a package of tax cuts and or a land deals, yeah, you drop Amazon anywhere. Okay, that's good to know. In the end, um, boy, Bond's going somewhere. We'll take a break. We'll come back and continue the journey, folks. Up next, uh, we'll be giving you a little heads up and preview of screen cleaning, which is a you know it's a it's an offshoot of the Matt Townsend show. Jeff Simpson, we give him the reins. We give him the driver's seat of the show for about an hour to launch us into the weekend by helping us look at the movies, all things screen, and keeping it clean. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. In order to help you uh, get ready for your weekend, take advantage of all things um, in, our, in the entertainment arena, we've put together one hour every week dedicated to nothing more than you and your screen. We call it Screen Cleaning. It's hosted by Jeff Simpson. And uh, Jeffrey, I'm sure it's going to be a great show today. What are you, what are you, uh, what are you planning? Well, I wish we would have been talking more about... Because, you know, you mentioned spending time with your screen. Sounds like we're spending a little too much time with our phone screens. Yeah, they're dirty. That they're so filthy mm-hmm. that we're maybe, getting these infectious diseases. Maybe that's why they need your show screen cleaning. So, yeah, that's not what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> we're actually, it's going to be a back-to-school theme on the show today. We're going to be presenting the 2017 graduate graduating class of films from SCU or mm. Screen Cleaning University. Wow. And uh, our my guest and I will be on the review board for films that we are either going to reject, put on the waiting list or accept into Screen Cleaning University. Now, Screen Cleaning University, this this is a new idea. I haven't I don't know that I've heard as much about Screen Cleaning University. Well, you'll have to tune in to find out more. And so at the university, you give tips, advice, ideas for how to maximize your screen pleasure. Wrong. Okay. Sorry. Wrong. So, okay. Uh, I guess in just one minute, people will, will be able to – well, a minute and f- about five minutes. Just don't bother doing the math. People will be able to, <laughs> to learn more about it. So you'll talk about the university. Um, anything else on the show that is a, that, that is a must-see? We'll be speaking with Spencer and Jerem, who I'm sure are going to yeah. be gearing up for the big game this weekend. Plus, I came across an article about the Los Angeles Dodgers and why they're – their 12 out of 13 games lost 
don't really mean the end of the world. Okay. So you'll do a little sports update as well. Basically, they're in good company with other teams well, that have failed at the end of the season but have done quite well in the postseason. Yeah. It's still probably over for the Dodgers, though. <laughs> so you'll be able to probably. get into that. Jeff Simpson's his name. Screen cleaning is the game. It's straight ahead, folks. This is a, a little gift from the Matt Townsend Show. So you can have you know a little focus on how to keep your screen clean in a variety of ways. Continue the journey, folks. I'll talk to you again Monday morning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends... I present to you the 2017 graduating films of this distinguished university, SCU, Screen Cleaning University. Better Off Dead, Can't Hardly Wait, Dead Poet Society, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and lastly, Napoleon Dynamite. Once again, I present to you the 2017 graduating films of this distinguished university, Screen Cleaning University. Wow. They grow up so fast, don't they, Cole? Tearing up once again, Jeff. It's hard not to get emotional this time of the year. Absolutely. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is Jeff Simpson. I'm here with Cole Wissinger. Today we've got a special theme on the show. We're going to be doing a back-to-school theme. And uh, those films are all high school films that I rather enjoy. So they've graduated. And this idea of Screen Cleaning University is going to come up later on the show when we speak with our guest, Joel Hilton, from the podcast Bacon Sale, which is a pop culture podcast that you should definitely check out. And uh, yes, he and I, since these are the graduates, he and I are going to be choosing the next class of SCU students. So uh, it wasn't an easy task, but it was fun. That's coming coming up here on the show in just a bit. As you know, on-screen cleaning, it's our goal to put a big old spotlight and all that is good in entertainment. We're trying to help you save your Friday and Saturday nights. And one way we do that is we try to give you the best in entertainment news. So starting off with the best trailer news, Cole, I've mentioned this before on the show, but there's actually a second trailer for a film that I've mentioned before. It is Daddy's Home 2. Now, I should say I was not all that into the first film with Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. However, once you introduce... The other generation. John Lithgow and Mel Gibson. You've you've got my now. you've piqued my interest mm-hmm. a little, right? So they put out another trailer and it looks pretty entertaining, I'm gonna say. It could also be horrible, but we won't know until we see the actual movie. 
any any movie with John Lithgow in it, though, I'm I'm going to give a chance, right? And we stay on the bright side here at Screen Cleaning. We're going to give right. it a chance until it proves us wrong. And speaking of giving out chances, we want to give Mel Gibson another chance. Yeah. He's had some rough times, to <laughs> say the least, but we'll give him another chance as well. And I love I love that he's playing the cool, hip grandpa right now, even oh, yeah. though he still kind of looks... A little worse for the wear and... little weathered. Mm-hmm. He, you know, was quite the heartthrob back in his day. It's true. I think he was the uh, on People Magazine's uh, <laughs> sexiest men alive. I'm pretty sure. We We've can, come a long way since the early 90s. Yeah, times have changed a little bit. Gerard Depardieu was also on that list, so just FYI. Good company. <laughs> Uh, in our best animated trailer news, I was so excited to see this. It is called Early Man. Do you know anything about Early Man, Cole? I do not. Early Man is the newest film from Ardman Studios. Ardman, of course, is the company that brought us all of the wonderful Wallace and Gromit films and uh, short films. Yes. Okay. So everything that they put out, I, I will watch because they're always entertaining. They're always clean and they're always quite funny. So Early Man, it's about a caveman or a a community of cave people who stumble across this other community that's a little more advanced than they are. Mm. And uh, they're not quite ready to to make the changes. So it looks pretty funny. The best news for Disney. Now, you'll notice the wording is a little different on that. The best news. It's not Disney news. And it's not the best news for us. It's not the best Disney news for us. No. It's the best news for Disney. Disney is taking the Marvel and Lucas films over to their new Disney streaming app. I know. I know. Might be a little disappointed. They announced earlier that they were going to be taking all of their Disney films from Netflix and putting them on their own Disney app. And they were still up in the air about what they were going to do with the Marvel and Lucasfilms films. Mm-hmm. And it's official they're taking those over to the Disney app as well. And is this going to go with – I want to know if it's going to go with television as well because the Clone Wars TV show – It's a good question. I think is the bright point of the universe that was built by the prequels and it's been on Netflix as well. It's a good watch. You might want to get that in before it goes away. Still more questions than answers because, yeah, yeah, like what happens with all of the uh, ABC programming? That's true. Because Disney owns ABC. Disney's got a lot in its back pocket if they decide to take their toys and – yeah, a different playground. So you've got to you're going to have to start paying for the the separate app, or you'll just have to start checking these things out from the library. Maybe hmm. good it's free that way. Yeah. Uh, also today in movie history, I don't know if you knew this, Cole. You probably do because you've got a show rundown in front of you. 1960 today in 1960 was the nationwide release of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Still gives me the chills. My favorite scary movie of all time, by the way. And And this we are actually in agreement about. Jeff and I don't agree on very many movies. In fact, we've agreed on maybe three movies ever since we've Mm -hmm. been doing this show. Mm -hmm. Psycho is one of them. It is fantastic. Absolutely. And I it's lately this has been a little bit of a debate on my Facebook account because I, we're trying to come up with some minimalist movie posters. If you don't know what that is, go Google it to put in our basement in anticipation of this m- 
movie theater basement that we're going to have, right? Okay. And I want to put up a poster of Psycho. And I've, I've. But what from Psycho? If we're thinking minimalist, what right. are you gonna? So I've posted five pictures, and I've gotten some very interesting responses. A okay. lot of them are like, "Why are you trying to scare my children?" Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, it's made me think twice about it. So Cole, maybe during the break, I'll get your take on which one we should choose. Sounds good. Uh, before we take a break, though, since we are gonna, it is a. Uh, a back-to-school theme on the show today. I'm going to play a few clips for you. See if you how well you know your high school films. Okay, so we'll start off easy. Bring it on. Sorry, not the movie. But... Oh, hold on. We'll do that one again. Oh, as if. Oh, as if. Or eh, as if. That's your easy one, Jeff? Oh, as if. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Clueless. Alicia Silverstone. Okay. Oh, oh my goodness. This is not going to go well. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I played that last clip. I could have played that last clip nine times. And you still wouldn't have gotten it. Do you know that one? Nine I don't think I do. Times. Hold on. We'll play it again. Nine times. Ed Rooney's office. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Come on, Cole. So I have oh, to. No. I, I know a lot of movies, okay. which I feel like is an unfair warning considering my reputation over the last two that you've played. Okay, um, high school movies were never exactly my genre because when I was in high school, I wasn't a big fan of high school, and so why would ah. I want to watch movies? Okay, glorifying this thing that I didn't really feel part of. I guess. Tell you what, I don't if, know. If you can get this next one, I will give you two dollars. Plus tip. <laughs> You're introducing him well, Jeff. But Come on, Cole. I don't uh, know if I got it. You don't want your $2? Better off dead. Okay. Better off dead. Wow. Well, even though you didn't get any of those right, I'm going to give you the wonderful, cheesy slow clap. So, is this the slow clap from Mighty Ducks? No. Does that have a slow clap in it? It does have a slow clap in it as well. If you if you didn't guess any of the other films, there's no way you're going to guess this one. Mighty Ducks is a little younger than high school, so I guess it doesn't fit into your genre. But That's from the film Can't Buy Me Love. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that went the well. The white version of Love Don't Cost a Thing. Yes. Which I have seen. Oh, no. I haven't seen Can't Buy oh, Me Love. Oh, no. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be speaking with Joel Hilton, and we're going to be choosing the next class of Screen Cleaning University, or SCU, if you will. Have I piqued your interest? Stay around or stick around. We'll be right back. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. We are continuing our theme of back to school here on the show today. And what better day, What better way to do that than to speak with our good friend Joel Hilton from the podcast Bacon Sale. It is a wonderful pop culture podcast that you definitely want to check out. He's also an improv comedian, and he's here with us today to have a little fun. Joel, welcome to Screen Cleaning. 
Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's always great to be here. So, uh, as you know, we're doing a back-to-school theme here on the show, and mm-hmm. I thought it would be fun to set up a university, an SCU, screen-cleaning university, if you will. And Is this a private university or a public university? I'm just trying to get a feel for what kind of university this is. It's definitely private. Okay. Yeah. And we're, but we're accredited, right? Um, I, that's not a fair question to ask. Um, okay. So here's what we're going to do. I've compiled a list of nine films that are about either, uh, students trying to get into college or students going back to school in some way or form. And, uh, we are going to rank them on whether or not they're going to be accepted into SCU, whether or not they're going to be on the wait list to SCU, or if they'll be rejected from SCU. And, I have a lot of power going to my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> there are three films that we need to squeeze into each one of those categories. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was kind of difficult to do. There were definitely some ones that were that were easier decisions than others. It's, you know, it's, it's not easy to tell a movie that it can't get into the university, but sometimes that's the breaks. Right. I had to stay up late, order out some pizza, and uh, really hit the applications. And here's what I've come up with. I'm sure you did something similar. I just took bribes. Yeah. (laughs) The way it's going to work is I'll give a quick synopsis of each film, and we'll do them in alphabetical order. Then we will give our, basically, our rating of of what's going to happen to that film. So the first film, and I'll let you go first on this one, but I'll give the synopsis first. It's 10 Things I Hate About You. And uh, according to IMDb, this is a film about a pretty popular teenager who can't go out on a date until her ill-tempered older sister does. And uh, so the reason this is in there, because the main character gets accepted into Sarah Lawrence, and it's based on Taming of the Shrew. So I'm going to let you go first on this one. Well, and I actually, I was in Taming of the Shrew in 1998 while I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And this was, this came out in 1999. So I was a bit of a Shakespeare snob when I went to go see it. And I remember thinking the movie was an insult to the bard and I didn't really appreciate it. I almost walked out of it at one point. And so I'm sorry. I'm going to have to reject 10 Things I Hate About You from SCU. Wow, that's so harsh. My goodness. It is, and it has its redeeming moments, but I just can't accept it. May I ask how old you were when this film came out? I was 19 years old, just about to go on a mission. Okay, so you may have just been just beyond the age of appreciating this film. Um, I didn't reject it. I'll tell you that much. I, okay. I think the cast is so incredibly likable, and half I mean, of the Heath Ledger's breakout role. Exactly, yeah, and uh, you know I've always thought that Heath Ledger and Joseph Gordon-Levitt look so much; uh, they look so similar. I think they look like the same person. Oh, I can see that. Um, so uh, one of the things I love about this movie is it has one of the best movie moments in a high school movie. And I'm sure you know what, which scene I'm talking about, the scene where Heath Ledger asks Julia Stiles to the prom, where I think he's just singing to her, actually. Yeah, he's uh, trying to make up to her by singing and dancing at the soccer field. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of make fun of the fact that it's, he's, it's not the best singing or performance in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it's a little crude, so they lose some points on that. And I, I really think the comedy is hit or miss as well. And so in an app in an applicant or in somebody that gets accepted into uh, SEU, I'm looking for somebody with consistency. So I'm going to mm. put them on the wait list. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So here's uh, the next film, American Graffiti. 
And this is about a couple of high school grads who spend one final night cruising the strip with their buddies before they go off to college. I'll go ahead and do this one first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I First of all, I have to say I'm a sucker for movies that have multiple storylines. Can't Hardly Wait is another one that takes place right after they graduate from high school that I love. Yeah. Um, the, the music in this film is fantastic. It's just filled with, with 50s and 60s songs like Rock Around the Clock and Surf and Safari, Johnny Be Good. I looked it up on Amazon. It's got 41 songs on the soundtrack. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the cast. In addition to Richard Dreyfus and Ron Howard, both Academy Award winners, it's got fantastic cameos. Wolfman Jack, Suzanne Somers, mm. Harrison Ford. Amazing. And I love that it's just kind of a slice of life. You know, a lot of these other high school, college movies, they're just so incredibly unbelievable. And it's just the film is kind of mundane in a way. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's significant in that it lacks those big movie moments like 10 Things I Hate About You has. And, uh, you know, but having said that, there are some significant significant things that happen in the film, like the geek gets the girl, the ambitious one tells off his principal. So things that, you know, we would love to have done in high school. But if you look back on high school, it's not as remarkable as it typically is in the movie. So I like that it's more grounded in reality. And that's what I'm looking for is uh, authenticity. So American Graffiti is accepted into SEU. Wow. Yes. You're putting it on the accepted list. Yes. Well, I'm going to seem like a grouch just because you picked these two <laughs> right off the back. But it, I, I do not deny the soundtrack is great. It has so many iconic songs on there. And it's it's a really, you know, flavor of that early 60s era. Um, and I also acknowledge that without this movie, there would probably be no Star Wars because this was written and directed by George Lucas. And it got him kind of on the map so that he could do a project that he really wanted to do. Yeah which was Star Wars. And yeah, even uh, Harrison Ford is another one of those where he probably wouldn't be a Han Solo if it weren't for this movie. But I just can't relate to this movie. I, mm-hmm. I never was the, you know, hanging out at the malt shop or cruising the strip for, for girls kind of guy. And I just kept going the whole night, like, do something with yourselves. And so I kind of got frustrated <laughs> with the characters. I put this on the rejected list. <gasps> oh my goodness, you are a grouch. Wow. And it is a classic. I just, I never related to this one. Okay. Let me ask you something. Did you ever see the sequel? I didn't. I didn't see the sequel. So it was a sequel that George Lucas pretty much disowned. Um, I actually don't hate it as much as most people do. I actually feel like if it was its own film and didn't exist after American Graffiti, it's a pretty good film on its own, in its own right, you know? So you should check it is out. Is it just American Graffiti 2? Is that what it's called? No, it's called More American Graffiti. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, let's check it out. Okay. So the next film is Billy Madison. So the synopsis of this, in order to inherit his fed-up father's hotel empire, an immature and lazy man must repeat grades 1 through 12 all over again. And it stars uh, Adam Sandler. And I'll let you go first on this one. And this is one of Adam Sandler's most iconic movies. When you think about sure. his biggest movies, what put him on the map, Billy Madison is there. But this one, I always get this one and Happy Gilmore mixed up. They came <laughs> out around the same time. My friends were obsessed with these movies. They would quote them all the time. And I wasn't in the cult following of this film. I thought they were funny and they had funny moments, but I wasn't thinking it was the funniest thing in the world. 
like lines like stop looking at me swan just <laughs> didn't make me laugh as much as i wanted them to but it has funny moments i'm going to give this one i'm going to put this one on the wait list okay that's fair that's fair i this a little tidbit this is the only movie i ever saw in the movie theaters on a sunday I was oh, really? staying, staying with my cousins, and they said, do you want to go bowling or go to the movies? And I said, bowling. And they said, okay, we're going to go to the movies. So <laughs> I was dragged to it, and uh, yeah. I don't think I caught the humor of it when it first came out because I was a little too young. But growing up, it's really grown on me. I love the cameos. We've talked about cameos in other movies. Chris Farley and Steve Buscemi. He's so funny in this. Absolutely. Uh, I love films that can pull off randomness very well. And this movie has tons of random moments, whether it's Adam Sandler randomly breaking out into an opera song or mm-hmm. it's uh, Bradley Whitford uh, getting in an argument over Triscuit crackers. So <laughs> funny. It's definitely one of my top three favorite Adam Sandler movies. Um, and this candidate is not the brightest or the most qualified by any means, but this movie makes me laugh so much. So I have accepted it. Oh, wow. You're being very generous. I am. Or you're just being very generous up front. Yeah. <laughs> I'll admit, maybe you do have to be in the right mood to see this movie. Maybe watch it at 11 o'clock at night and you'll find it funnier. Yeah. Yeah. And I need to give it another chance. It's been a while since I last watched it. Okay. So the next one, Legally Blonde. This one's about Elle Woods, who's a fashionable sorority queen. She's dumped by her boyfriend and she decides to follow him back to law school where uh, while she's there, she figures out that there is more to her than just more to her than just looks. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll go first on this one. Okay. Um, the one line that I can remember from this film is when she's making a video to send to, I think it's Harvard, and it's, yeah, Harvard Law School. And she says, I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. Somebody comes by and, and grabs her tush and she says, I object. That's clever. That's funny. But that's the only line that I can remember from the film. Overall, I think it's improbable. It's hokey. And it really doesn't have a great script. As far as I remember, I'm pretty sure I only saw it the one time. And, you know, as cute and charming as uh, Reese Witherspoon is, your looks and charm can only get you so far. So I'm afraid Legally Blonde is rejected. Rejected? Yes. Just like that. Just like that. Well, we're going to differ on this one (gasps) because I found Legally Blonde to have a very sharp wit, clever dialogue, funny characters. I liked uh, the character of Elle Woods, how she was trying so hard and how she was a big fish in a small pond. And then when she went to law school, she completely flipped and she was the fish out of water. I uh, enjoy the bend and snap. I think that's, that's also a funny moment. Uh, And I've used that. No, I've not used that, but I've just referenced that I should say. And then even they had a Broadway musical about legally blonde. And I found that to be enjoyable. So I'm going to give this an accepted. I'm letting Elle Woods into SEU. Wow. My goodness. You know, I, I like I said, I, I think I've only seen it the one time, so I may need to go back and see it again. Um, I love the story of um, Vince Vaughn and Will Ferrell with Luke Wilson filming this, the, the film Old School, which is another film mm-hmm. about college. And they would tease Luke Wilson, who is in Legally Blonde, by calling the film Legally Bland. Yeah. Um, just a little tidbit for you there. So let's yeah, do and one. The, and the sequel to Legally Blonde was not as well, as good as the first one. But... Is that red, white, and blonde? Yeah. I love a good pun. And, and yeah, but yeah, 
I, I'm afraid I rejected it. So uh, let's do one more here before we take a break. This one okay. is Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. This is about high schooler Greg, who spends most of his time making parodies of classic movies with his co-worker Earl and uh, finds his outlook forever altered after befriending a classmate who has just been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, so I'm going to let you go first on this one. So Me, Earl, and Dying Girl, if you haven't heard about it, it's because it was a very indie film, and a lot of indie people liked it. It was a, one of those films that I didn't see coming. When it came out, I was, you know, someone recommended it to me. I watched it and thought, wow, this has some really funny moments. I love the two characters, uh, the two friends who make movies together, and I love the friendship that bonds uh, these two characters together. And But it also has some depth, more than I anticipated. And so when it gets near the end it gets heavy but it does also feel a little pretentious a little you know snobby and look how indie we are and independent we are and so i'm gonna put this one on the wait list but it is definitely still worth watching okay this is interesting i think so far this is the only film that you and i have agreed on as far as the uh, level of acceptance here i i do admit the film parodies that they make within the movie are fun and uh, another great thing about this film, two words, Nick Offerman, who's good mm-hmm. in everything he does. Um, He's hilarious. It's a very quirky film, very different, very weird. Uh, and so in case I, I get behind on, on the diversity quota, I'm going to put it on the wait list. That sounds fair. Yeah, yeah. We agree. We agree. <laughs> For once. Well, you know, there's still a few films left, and I'm sure we could possibly agree on some of them. So let's do that. Let's take a break. When we return, we're going to finish off the list here and see who else is accepted into SCU or Screen Cleaning University here on Screen Cleaning. Welcome to a 90-second movie review for Close Encounters of the Third Kind on BYU Radio. Yes, this is a review for a film that is 40 years old, but that's because it is back in theaters. And there's a reason this film is back in theaters for its 40th anniversary. It's just that good. I remember going to this film and being dropped off with my friends at a theater and being engulfed in a story that asked questions and made me think about the world around me. After viewing it again 40 years later, I still had the same reaction. Steven Spielberg, Richard Dreyfuss, Terry Garr, Melinda Dillon and the score by John Williams all combined to make this film the masterpiece it is. This is the story of an Indiana power worker who meets up with a UFO and becomes entranced by what he feels is drawing him to learn more about the encounter. His search envelops his life and crumbles his marriage and family, so much so he builds an inexplicable model of Devil's Tower in his living room. This is an amazing film visually. The chance to see it on a big screen is the real reason to go back and see it again. Of course, if you haven't ever seen it, get a ticket. The large-scale shots in the film are meant to be seen on a big screen, and they do not disappoint. The storytelling is moving, and the characters feel like your friends next door. Spielberg attributes this to the fact that he felt like all the actors were playing themselves in the film. Close Encounters of the Third Kind is rated PG, and there are a few profanities. A woman is seen in her robe and underwear, and there are some suspenseful scenes which may be too much for some younger viewers. This is a treasure of a film, and it gets an A grade from me. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We're coming back with a little bit of marching band music. Very fitting for a, a segment about films involving high school and college students. 
And uh, we welcome back to the program Joel Hilton from the podcast Bacon Sale, which is, I believe, hickory-wrapped pop culture. Joel, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be back. Glad you didn't reject me during the break. <laughs> I got to say, expelled. if we were serving on the same board of admissions, we would kind of be at a, a standstill. We might have to go into the later hours of the night with the pizza and the Chinese food because we're just not agreeing on anything. No, we'd have to bring in a mediator. It, it would be it would be rough. It'd be messy. Yeah. Okay, so we've done five films so far. We've got four to go. The next one on the list, and uh, I'll I'll, uh, do this one first, Monsters University. A look at the relationship between Mike and Sully during their days at Monsters University when they weren't necessarily the best of friends. This, of course, is the prequel to the Pixar film Monsters, Inc., and, of course, it stars John Goodman and Billy Crystal and... uh, I know a lot of people are fans of Monsters, Inc. I I like it as well. When I first saw this film, I I definitely thought it was clever enough, uh, but there's not really a whole lot of substance there, and you you start to notice that when you see it more than one time. Uh, And I have some beef with the inconsistencies in the storyline in Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University. There's a line where Billy Crystal's character says something to the effect of, uh, in Monsters, Inc., he says, you've been bugging me or since the, the fourth grade or something like that. Yeah, you've been jealous of my good looks since the fourth grade. Right. So there are some inconsistencies like that that bother me that really would have been so easy to to take care of if the makers of this film would have gone back and watched it a little carefully, in my opinion. And so, again, not a whole lot of substance, super clever, fun, uh, especially the first time around. But if you can't contribute, then there's really no place for you. So I'm afraid that Monsters University is rejected. Which is sad because the first movie was so good. I know. I'm, I'm a big fan of Monsters, Inc. I think it's probably one of my favorite Pixar movies ever. Maybe one of my favorite Disney movies ever. But this movie does not deliver it. You get Mike and Sully and they're meeting in college, which, by the way, they actually said they kind of retconned it and said, oh, that uh, you've been jealous of me since the fourth grade is an old monster saying it's what all the monsters say each other, say to each other. They kind of just you know, explained it away that way, which sure. is kind of pathetic. <laughs> but uh, this, it's not as funny. They try to do kind of an animal house for kids and it doesn't quite succeed. I'm gonna to have to reject this one as well. I did not. I did not enjoy this movie, and I think I don't think it belongs in, in SCU. Wow! Thank you very much for agreeing with me on that one. Uh, this next one, I'm going to admit, was probably one of the more difficult ones for me. It's Orange County, starring Colin Hanks, who is Tom Hanks' son, and it's about a guidance counselor who mistakenly sends out the wrong transcripts to Stanford University under the name of an overachieving high schooler, and that, of course, is Colin Hanks. Uh, I'll let you go first on this one. So this movie... Um it is one of those dramedies where it's a, you know, it's a funny movie, but it also has that dramatic aspect to it. I don't really like the term dramedy, but it feels appropriate in this case. And it's him just trying to decide if what he wants in life is really what he wants in life, which is a struggle I think all of us have. Also, this is one of Jack Black's uh, big breakout comedic roles. And he is, he is genuinely funny in this movie. But I, I only had a few slots for acceptance, and this didn't quite make the cut, so I had to put... Orange County on the wait list. Wow. Okay. This So the reason this was difficult for me is because I do think there are some really funny moments in the film. 
And I'm I'm giving it positive points for casting John Lithgow and Catherine O'Hara, two of the funniest people in the movies that uh, don't get a lot of play, in my opinion, or not enough credit as they as they're due. Uh, I have to admit, I am the only reason or the main reason I'm excited to see the film uh, Daddy's Home 2 is for John mm-hmm. Lithgow. That scene in the trailer of him getting off the escalator to Love Will Keep Us Together had me in mm-hmm. stitches, and it makes me laugh every time I see it. And so, then they had the follow-up with Mel Gibson, too. So Oh, yeah. yeah. It looks like a funny film. Yeah. I the the first film was a little hit or miss and I'm thinking I'm hoping this one will be better because the casting is superb. Anyway, little bit of a, an aside there. Uh however, I'm going to have to take away points for the hit or miss humor and the wandering plot. Like you said mm-hmm. it kind of goes back and forth between comedy and drama and like many college students who are trying to figure out their future, it's trying to figure out what type of a movie it wants to be. It didn't quite reach its full potential for me, so I, as difficult as it was to make this decision, I'm rejecting it from SCU. Wow, not just a waitlist, you're rejecting it. Right. Yep, yep, I know, it's sad. And I'm I'm probably going to upset uh, some people with this next one, too, with my decision on this next one. It's oh, Rudy. Don't. It's Rudy. And uh, Rudy tells a story. Uh, Rudy has always been told that he was too small to play college football, but he is determined to overcome the odds and fulfill his dream of playing for Notre Dame or Notre Dame. How would mm-hmm. you say that in French? Notre Dame. That was better. Thank wow. you. Yeah, that was good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't want to upset anybody too much. And if if you're keeping score, then hopefully I won't because you'll know what I'm going to do with this. I don't really sympathize with characters in movies that choose their dreams over family. That's mm-hmm. just me. Uh, I'm a family man, and I, I feel like in my life I've made some choices and sacrifices in order to um, have a family. And I'm not saying everybody should be like me, but I for some reason I just don't sympathize with people that much who make those types of choices. Uh, slow claps and slow chants in movies are always cheesy, but I will mm-hmm. say I much prefer the Rudy chant at the end of this film to the uh, to the team in uh, Remember the Titans singing mm. goodbye at the funeral of their teammate. That right. to me ruined it. Um, but yeah, but going, I, I I do appreciate having said that. I do appreciate a good and well timed slow clap. There's uh, there's uh, cool runnings. There's can't buy me love, and there's the cheer in this film, which apparently did not actually happen. They his no. the teammates did not spontaneously start cheering Rudy and get the whole audience to do it. That didn't happen, which is disappointing yeah. to hear. It's got heart. I'll give it that. So I'm gonna let it sit on the bench, maybe not play, and I'm gonna put it on the wait list. A wait list for yes. Rudy? Yes, yes, yes. I don't know, Jeff. See, this this is a guy <laughs> chick flick. Like this gets me every <laughs> single time. This this is arguably the best inspirational sports movie ever. Mm-hmm. And and Daniel Rudy Rudiger is actually baptized member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints now. I, yes, and, that's right. Yeah. And I just feel like this movie has everything I want in an inspirational sports movie. I got this was one of my top of the list accepted ones. I don't think there was any question in my mind I was going to let Rudy in. 
Okay, so you've accepted Rudy into SCU. I can appreciate that. Um, all right, we've come down to the final film. We've only got one spot left. So here it is. It's Stand and Deliver, the story of Jaime Escalante, a high school teacher who successfully inspired his dropout-prone students to learn calculus. And I'm going to let you go first on this one. So uh, there are a lot of movies out there that are very similar to this about the teacher trying to get through the hardened students who may know more than they let on. And it is true that this one, once again, not everything, this is based on a true story, but not everything that happened actually happened the way that, that they said it happened. But Edward James almost is amazing. And you get the supporting cast around him and you just want everyone to succeed and you want this movie to succeed. So as much hard as this has, I, I got to give it and accept it. I got to let it in because he made me believe that I could do multiplication and calculus. That is a great point. I, you know, that's definitely one of the, uh, one of the best parts of this movie uh, is Edward James almost. And he actually got an Oscar nomination for this film. To me, it's always inspiring to see teachers in film that are fighting for their students if it's done the right way. And I feel like in this movie, it's done in a very humble way. Uh, I just can remember the scene where he walks out to the parking lot and he notices that his car has been stolen. He doesn't make a scene. He doesn't complain. He just kind of drops his head and walks the many, many miles home. And I just think there's something very humble about this film that for an 80s movie, it's it's pretty grounded in reality, which many 80s movies are not. I will no. say that. Um, and I love the cast of characters. Like you said, you really, really want to see these kids succeed just mm-hmm. because you you know a little bit of their background. You know that the odds are against them. I also love the fact that uh, Lou Diamond Phillips is in this film. I've been yeah. a, a huge fan of his ever since I grew up watching two of my favorite films of that time, Young Guns and Young Guns 2. Chavez. Yes. Uh, I'm oh a my big goodness. fan. So anytime you see Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, I'll watch. I'll watch, even if it's not a great film. Uh, so again, it, it's a movie about kids who defy the odds and you really, really care about them. So I am giving this the same score that Lou Diamond Phillips received in the film on his calculus exam, a five, and he is accepted into SEU. Well, look at that. We ended on a positive together note. I think we agreed on three there, so that's good. And we did end on a positive note. You're right. So why don't we do this, Joel? Let's just quickly recap our lists. So I want you to share your rejected wait list and accepted list, and then I'll share mine. Okay. Well, I rejected 10 Things I Hate About You, American Graffiti, and Monsters University. I put Orange County, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, and Billy Madison on the waiting list, and I accepted Legally Blonde, Rudy, and Stand and Deliver. Okay. Thank you. On my rejected list, Monsters University didn't make the cut, neither did Orange County, and neither did Legally Blonde. So on my wait list, there's 10 Things I Hate About You. There is Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, as well as Rudy, which I know uh, you weren't too thrilled about. Uh, on my accepted list, I've got American Graffiti, Billy Madison, and Stand and Deliver. 
Well, anyway, Joel, thank you so much for your time. We've had a good time, and uh, we're going to continue the theme of back to school here on Screen Cleaning. Once again, our guest has been Joel Hilton from the podcast Bacon Sale. You definitely need to go check it out. It is uh, the subtitle of Bacon Sale is Hickory Wrapped Pop Culture. So fun, fun podcast. We will take a break. When we return, we'll continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning in this Back to School edition. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, we've been talking graduates and uh, back to school. And so we're going to turn it over to two Brigham Young University graduates, Spencer and Jerem of BYU Sports Nation fame. How are you guys? Yeah. It's Friday Eve of the BYU-Utah rivalry. How do you think we're doing? On edge, maybe a little? No, I'm just kidding. No, we're good. excited. We are good. Okay. Let's sports. So I wasn't going to bring this up until I came across an article that I want to share with you. Um, but who, first of all, who would have guessed we'd be having the exact same conversation that we had a week ago? Because uh, the Dodgers have only won one or two games in the last, like, 14 games or something like that. So they won last Friday, and then they won... The, uh, the Friday previous. So it really is the exact same conversation. And uh, the article that I found, it's, uh, it's, it, the title of it is, History Says Slumping Dodgers Need Not Fret. And then it lists all these other teams that ended up in the playoffs that just prior to the playoffs had like a seven or eight game losing streak. Mm. So it talks about the 2006 Cardinals, the 2011 Cardinals, the 2010 Giants, and uh, the Giants in 2010, I think Price that was a year that the they Giants. won the World Series. Yeah, I'm shocked at Dodger fans bringing up the Giants as evidence of something good. <laughs> so anyway, I I guess I could take that as a, a good sign, but I ooh. I even so I talked long. to my parents who watch every Dodgers game, and I asked them yesterday, wow. are you still watching every game? And they said, nope. Why are they not watching anymore? Saving their time for October. Let, let me just put it this way. I just watched a scary movie last night. This to me is more of a nightmare than the the scary movie was. What? Yeah. Wow. It's horrible. Wow. Anyway. Has it gotten that dire? Yes. Oh my. Yes it has. We're in first place. All hope We've is gone. A few games. All <laughs> a few. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, how many games? Now, what's How many weird games is like the up? Cleveland Indians have won a bunch of games in a row, and mm-hmm. the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks have won a bunch of games in a row. So it's like they stole the good mojo from the Dodgers. They're still ten games up, but you know they basically have to win at least half of these games, right? They will. In order for me to get to to uh, game one of the second series. They need to have the best record in baseball, or at least the best record in the National League. You got to cool it with that NLCS talk, dude. You're like <laughs> panicking about the regular season, let alone the DS, the divisional series. <laughs> Listen, okay. I'm going to the divisional series, and then if they advance, you're going to the championship series. 
That's a big if. Yeah, ten. You're you're up ten games. Okay. Well, just mark my words. You ain't blowing that. Mark them down. Fine. All right. Well, in a month, can you, you blow ain't a blowing ten a game ten lead game in a lead. month? Hey, they blew uh, they blew ten 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 and a half games in just what two weeks? I know, but you're not going to do it twice. Okay. Baseball's way too delicate for that to happen. Dodgers like, love making the history. Dodgers though. can play horribly and win a few games, and it's a five game series. Like, ugh. ask the Mariners how that goes after a great regular season. Okay. So I, now that I'm cooling down a little bit, <laughs> I want to I want to talk about uh, the big game this weekend. Jeff, what would you give up to guarantee a BYU win against Utah, given everything that has happened in the recent past? What would you give up? Movie theater popcorn. Oh, whoa! Yeah, now we're talking. Okay, yeah, that's a big sacrifice. Would you give up a? World Series championship for the Dodgers. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to see how how all in you are on this thing, okay? I, I'm in, but not that all in. <laughs> yeah. Listen, there are a lot of people that would give up much more significant than that, my friend. That's the wow. thirst is real. Are we talking like firstborn firstborn child? Is that how invested they are? I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's, it's gotten ugly. <laughs> we are asking everyone that today. What would you give up to guarantee a BYU win over Utah? And the, the uh, submissions are fantastic thus far. That's a great, yeah, that's a great question. We also have an incredible coaching lineup of guests today. First of all, we have the Super Bowl champion coach, Brian Billick, joining us via Skype. What he thinks about BYU through two weeks, and what has to happen for their psyche to get ready for the Utah game. Also, we talked to the Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham and Tommy Tuberville, longtime college football coach. He's going to be the analyst for ESPN2's coverage tomorrow night. He will join us in studio. So how much of an edge does BYU have now that they're at home? Vegas thinks a couple of points. BYU's still a favorite. Really? Yeah. BYU is the favorite. Yes. BYU is the favorite. And let me check as of this moment. And I like I is. like looking at those lines because there is zero emotion involved Whoa. from moneymakers. Utah is now a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Oh, the line the has shifted. Ah. It was one-and-a-half BYU, two and a, This is what we expected. But still, a close game expected, over under 46. So something like a 24-21-ish yeah, game. Okay. At least not 34-31, I'll tell you that. 16 of the last 19 have been decided by seven points or less. That's incredible. The last 34 games these two teams have played, each team has won 17. BYU went on a long win streak in the late 80s. Utah's going on a long win streak right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, we'll see what happens. What? Wait, what would the two of you give up? Or are you saving that for your show? Saving it. Saving, saving it, it for the show. Ah! All right, you've done it again. You've teased me, and uh, it's not fair. Anyway, I hope, uh, Spencer and Jeremy, you guys have a great show, and I hope for your sake uh, you're not giving anything up too important to you. Yeah, well, well, we'll you'll see. We'll, you'll, we'll decide that, okay, Jeff? Is it my hair, <laughs> question mark? <laughs> Hey, remember the show where I I said if Matt Townsend comes back to relieve me of hosting, I will shave my head, and he didn't do it. He did not do it. He blew it. Yeah, he did. 
Anyway, have a great show. We'll talk Thanks, to man. you next week. I hope the Dodgers don't blow a 10-game lead. Ugh. We're going to have the same conversation next week. I can just tell already. Oh, my goodness. Well, as you know, every week on Screen Cleaning, we're here every Friday, by the way, we like to end the show with our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. Earlier in the show, uh, Joel Hilton and I, we made our selections of the next class of Screen Cleaning University. Basically, the films, the high school films, or the films about high school students trying to get into college that we liked the most. And I'm looking again at this list, and I really feel like I, I can't say enough good about Stand and Deliver, the film starring Edward James Olmos as a high school teacher who is trying to, he's basically fighting for his students to not only pass his calculus class, which is something I never took, thank goodness, but he's really trying to change their lives. These are students that, you know, nobody in their family has ever been to college before. There's really probably not a whole lot of expectation for them to go to college. And they're just, the odds are against them. And so, It's so inspiring to see films. And we mentioned another inspiring film on the list, Rudy. And I know it's a a very inspiring sports movie for a lot of people. Uh, But as far as college admission uh, (laughs) movies go, I would much rather watch Stand and Deliver. Because anytime a teacher is fighting for his or her students, it gets me, you know, Uh, because – How many of us have wanted and desired that teacher? And hopefully you've had a teacher like that in in your lives that has really pushed you to reach your full potential, that has really been rooting for you, and you could tell that they cared about you and would be willing to do anything for you, even pull money out of their own pocket to to, uh, you know, buy school supplies or to better your future or to better your chances anyway. So that's what Stand and Deliver is all about. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Wonderful film, Academy Award-nominated performance by Edward James Olmos, and it also has the wonderful Lou Diamond Phillips, Stand and Deliver. That's going to be it for this edition, this school edition of Screen Cleaning. We'll be back next Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 9 o'clock Mountain Time. Until then, go watch a good film. Why don't you start with Stand and Deliver? We'll be back next week.